Hi. Hello, Hi. beautiful wife. Hello, beautiful husband. And welcome, not back, but sideways to a, a recap. A recap of, of book curse. one of Curse, curse of, of the, the Crimson, Crimson Throne. Throne. Edge of Anarchy. Is it we, really the edge anymore? I well, feel like it's, it's sort of just tipped full on over. You know, that's sort of the idea is that you start at the edge of anarchy. And I'm you, on the edge. Uh, <laughs> um, so uh, just as, just before we get into this a little bit, uh, if this sounds any different to anybody, that's because I didn't do a lot of processing on this oh, like no. I usually do for the show. Uh, <gasps> no. Because this is a little bit more loosey-goosey. We've got, we've got our glasses of wine. Mm -hmm. uh, we've got... Some uh, nice red Zinfandel here. Red Zinfandel. Crimson like the throne. Yes. Uh, and we're, we're just going to go through the... The season. I have notes set up here that are gonna like uh, get us through everything that happened in book one, hopefully. And we also have and a few some things that didn't. And some things that did. I'm probably not gonna talk about the things that didn't because, as a GM, one of the things you learn is to reuse the things that didn't happen ah. later. Um, so, uh, spoiler warning. But if you're listening to this, obviously you're expecting spoilers. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I would hope that the reason that you're the listening to this told me what happened. No. <laughs> oh my god. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Hopefully, you will be expecting that. Uh, we are going to talk about uh, book one. That's sessions uh, zero through sixteen. Yes. Now, if you haven't listened to those sections, the, the, the sorry, those sessions. Wow, I've only had one glass of wine. <laughs> it was I'm already a pretty fucking big up. glass. It was a pretty big glass. Uh, it kind of filled the glass a little bit. A little bit. Because uh, we knew that we were going to be dealing with some big shit. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, if you haven't listened to to Haven't to Roll, sessions zero through 16, and you don't want spoilers, number one, wh why are you still here? Number two... It's too late. <laughs> Man, how about Ophelia dying? Oh, gosh. Ophelia dying was the worst. It was so bad. My first character death. It utterly destroyed me. The first of many. Anyway, uh, now that we've got that Band-Aid ripped off, let's go. It, it's bleeding everywhere. Way back. My God, so much blood. Wait, that's oh, fine. Now, just just as a <laughs> just as a little bit of a uh, of a of, of just to to frame this, contextualize where we're at. Uh, we are. Uh, our most recent recorded episode was session 32. Mm -hmm. We are well into book two and we are actually coming pretty close to the end of book two. Uh, and so some of our opinions on some of this stuff might be colored by our experiences in book two. Mm. Um, we will try our darndest not to spoil anything. That oh, happens no, in book we are two. not spoiling anything. <laughs> and I have my marker key set right here. And if we spoil anything, I'm going to delete that shit. So um, now we also have some questions. And as we go along, uh, I think at times that are appropriate for the questions, we will be getting into those. Yes. Uh, for the questions that I don't have names for, I'm also going to be randomly generating names <laughs> using Dungeonetics. Dungeonetics. Uh, Dungeonetics has this wonderful thing for generating Pathfinder names. And I use it all the time uh, in the game. And so what we're going to do is we're going to generate random Chalaxian names. Yes. Excellent. Um, so, so let's get into it with session zero, zero. haunted fortunes. Yes. This was our mm. introduction to the world 
that we would find ourselves adventuring in. Yeah. And what happened in session zero, Daph? Yeah. So in session zero, uh, four people from de- from different walks of of from different wow. walks of life found hero cards. Hero cards in unlikely places that had notes on the back that said, "Come to this address." Uh, I have... If you want an ass-kicking. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, we did end up getting an ass-kicking, but not (laughs) at that address. Um, I I have something I need your help with. Um, You know, uh, take this as a sign. And and, and so you were given these hero cards uh, by mystical means. Mystical And you arrive at the home of one Zalara Esmeranda. Yes. Where she did a harrowing... Uh, sort of to guide you on your path mm-hmm. uh, and give you kind of an idea of how Hera works. Yes. Um, and how she was able to uh, find you. Yes. Uh, uh, magic. Magic. Uh, <laughs> n- now, now, for those of you who are familiar with the mechanics of um, Pathfinder, you might realize that we missed a critical step. Uh, there, are, there are like two stages to the Hera and we missed the choosing. Uh, so we did that later uh, off screen because I realized that we'd missed it. Um, uh, but we noted down all the cards, so it didn't really matter for the rest of the show. But um, yeah, we did. We did mess that one up. Uh, I messed that one up. I'll own that. Uh, but anyway, um, so it was really good. We get really get into the sort of the mysticism of the Pathfinder universe. And it was very mm-hmm. fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody got time. to meet each other. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I will say uh, coming into playing Lenore. Um, I was not expecting her experiences to align so closely with my own. And then it, you know, it sort of turned out that she was busy having a depression nap and needed to uh, go through the, uh, yeah. the motions to get ready to yeah. go somewhere. And I was like, oh, well, this doesn't hurt. I'm fine. Yeah, I, I remember when we were, when we were sort of like conceptualizing the game, right? Uh, I think one of the questions that I would often ask you is who is the main character mm-hmm. of this party? Because you're playing the entire party, but as with many um, ensemble things, I think there's there's a tendency to have a central character even mm-hmm. among the ensemble. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, and when we were when we were like conceptualizing it and like doing backstory, I think. We both thought, or at least I thought, that Unia was the center. Yeah, I mean, they've definitely you know? got a lot of really interesting stuff going on. Yeah. And they've, you know, they've very much been thrust into this um, this setting that they don't have the same familiarity with that everybody else does. Yeah. Uh, so they get to ask a lot of questions, you know. And so I was sort of expecting them to be sort of the POV character for a lot of... Uh, yeah, because they, uh, they were kind of coming in as the person who doesn't know anything about what's going on. Yeah. And, you know, there's the there's the tendency for that character be just sort of be the the audience, the audience surrogate a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. What you is know? this place? Et cetera. What is this place? Et cetera. But it kind of ended up being Lenore. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And we sort of ended up inhabiting Lenore as almost the POV character. Yeah. I think I think uh, part of it. Uh, well. Uh, and and a larger part of it than expected was uh, everybody ended up living at Lenore's house. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the benefit of being a homeowner yeah. is that you can have your friends crash at your place. Yeah. Uh, and like everything that's going on with the other characters is definitely still important. And I love all of them dearly. And yes. we'll talk more about that later. Yes. But 
Um, yeah, it's it's definitely um, Lenore's grief and sort of my own um, difficulty with depression uh, have have given me a lot of empathy toward Lenore's situation. Yeah. But yeah, um, it was fun having everybody interact. Uh, I liked uh, the bit where Ophelia is like, can I sit next to you? And then she sort of already sits down <laughs> next to you. She does it without really yep. letting anybody answer. <laughs> it's very good. Yeah. Um, uh, now, um, now I will say, I will say like, session zero, it was very fun. I really liked getting into all the characters' heads. Oh, wait, like, do you want to do Damien before we, before oh, we, yeah, uh, get yeah. Um, and, and, um, one of the things you've probably noticed is that earlier on in the show, I did not have a real voice for Damien yet. Um, I kind of didn't want it to be like this nasally nerd voice, and then it ended up being the nasally nerd voice anyway, but it's actually it's, working better than I thought it's it was easy, going It's to. easy to get into. Yeah, yeah. You know? And, um, like, it's, I, I love Damien a lot. He's very precious. Um, he is our special nerd son. We love him very much. He is my soft nerd boy, and we I love him. love him so much. I love him and his little hoofy feet and his little <laughs> thrashy tail, and yes. I, he's great. Yes. <laughs> he's so good. I love him so much. <laughs> um, yes, this is the 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 opening uh, is a is a very good way to. Uh, I think we did a good job introducing these characters that we are now both extremely attached to. Yes. Um, and uh, uh, anyway, Zalara told us that her son had been killed by Gadron Lamb. Yes. Uh, and that we need we needed to go to the old fishery and uh, stop him. Stop him from stuff he was doing and boy was he doing a lot of stuff <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh actually before we do that uh session zero we did also get our brief look at corvosa being quote normal oh uh, yeah which was still not great you know <laughs> yeah, for all his yeah. yeah. Well, no, 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 no. That, that, that was later. That was ah, later. Dang it. Uh, that's session two. Dang it. Um. Uh. But but like we did still get a look at what normal Corvosa is like, mm -hmm. and it involved a lot of like you know people gossiping and you know soldiers marching around and things. Yeah. Uh, people being really nasty to poor people and yeah. homeless people and yeah. Uh, um. And but but so anyway. I distinctly wanted to keep session zero combat free because, you know, that's kind of what you do with session zero. Session zero is kind of a set the table sort of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and se and also session zero uh, in this, since we're broadcasting this, wasn't fully like what I expect the session zero to be like. Mm. You know, like we weren't building the world together in session zero, but we were introducing everything. Yeah. Uh, and so with session one, I wanted to get right into combat. Because, you know, when you show up to a Pathfinder game, what you want to do is you want to fight. You want to fight stuff. You want to fight some stuff. And so you got your first taste of combat with uh, a guy who didn't even get named in the game. <laughs> yeah. So as we were going to Lamb's Fishery, Ophelia was like, um, I'm going to I'm going to head out here. Uh, I have a friend who's better at fighting and she'll come help you. And Siren uh -huh. showed up uh, and we found ourselves at this address um, on Warehouse Way. Yeah, Warehouse uh, Way. Which is just full of these piers that are, you know, in disrepair, some of them abandoned, some of them appearing to be abandoned, but not actually abandoned in the case of this one. Yes. Uh, and uh, <laughs> Siren went up to the door. I was very excited, very, very excited to <laughs> roll a disabled device check. Yeah. Got a natural, natural one. one. 
broke the lockpick, and yes. um, this gentleman showed up as we all sort of yes. ran around to ran around the corner. Yeah. And we're like, crap, crap, so, crap. So crap, his crap. name his name was Yargen Belko. Yargen Belko. I believe that's his name. Let me double check it. Yargen. Yeah, sorry, Yargen Balko. Balko. Yes. Uh, it's okay, he's dead. He doesn't care if you mispronounce his name. <laughs> he's uh, super dead. He's super dead. Uh, and he's also like, he's also like a, a, a very, he, he likes putting on airs of being this, uh, this very well off stodgy guy. Uh-huh. But he is right here in this uh, in this old fishery mm-hmm. with a bunch of child slavers. Yeah, well, he is also a child slaver. Let's not yes. let's not kid ourselves. Um, <laughs> like, ha, <huh>, kid ourselves. <laughs> uh, anyway, and um, and and so so for all of the for all of this appearance that he likes to this edifice he likes to put on himself, mm-hmm. he's a shit. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. He's a shit. We didn't even really get to learn how much of a shit he was, because as soon as he came around the corner, Damien hit him with color spray and he like ran away. Yes. And we 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 killed the shit out of him. You guys got some good use of color spray at the beginning. We of did. Game, I'm very color glad spray, you did. I really cannot overstate how useful color spray is up to like level three. Up to <laughs> level three. Color spray is uh, a spellcaster's very bestest best friend. Yes. It is so good that it is broken. And then after that, then it's after that totally it useless. Completely useless. Like, don't even prepare the spell yeah, after like, level three. Yeah. Um, um, but but yeah, yeah, you you managed to color spray him. Yeah. And he died trying to open a door. <laughs> uh, uh, and through that door, you found uh, the the work floor. Yes. Uh, which, Worst things awaited us. Yeah. Which was just full of these kids uh, being press ganged into service by a half orc named Giggles. Yeah, that was disturbing. That was seriously disturbing. Yeah, it was it was pretty fucked up. Um, uh, Giggles being, you know, uh, a guy who took a feat so that he could deal non-lethal damage with his heavy flail. Yes. Uh, And so to so as to better. Yeah. Yeah, Giggles was physically harm. You know, I think the one, of the, one of the slaves. things that one of the things that Paizo does a bit with their adventure paths is they introduce you to some pretty depraved characters quite early on yeah, in a lot of their adventure path. <laughs> yeah, just so that you know what you're in for yeah. for the rest of the adventure. Like, um, and oof. and they, you know, this adventure it started off with with children in danger. Uh, child abuse and child slavery, and you know when you start there, where are you gonna go? Where are you gonna go? Surprisingly, down. Down, yeah. Surprisingly, uh, uh, in fact, um, now I I can never remember where the where the line between episode one and two is, but um, after you fought Giggles, uh, you then went into the upper room, I believe. Yes. Uh, yeah. So we went upstairs. You went upstairs uh, and you and you met uh, Caster. You met Caster, Caster. Uh, and a bunch of kids who were who were also sort of like waiting here. Mm-hmm. Um, they you know they didn't want to fight you. Yeah. But they had been hearing the fight that was going on in the other room. Yeah. And as you were talking to the kiddos, we got uh, you got jumped by Hookshanks Gruller, <laughs> who, who was, was a small hiding kukri wielding gnome who was hiding. 
in the fish slurry that went down into the vats that that proceeded onto the lower so level. So gross. It was so gross. So gross. Um, I actually had to roll a fortitude save for Ophelia uh, to yeah. see if uh, she would contract fill fever there. She didn't. Uh, but, you know. That's okay. You know. Unia gets fill fever later. And then you guys got to talk to Kester. And I think the introduction of Kester was really the point where I wanted to throw a wrench into your preparation for the game. Yeah. Because with Unia, we had prepared Unia being this person who still has a connection to Aridin, uh, who is a god who's been dead for a hundred years. Um, and, and, you know, when we were preparing this and we were talking about the idea for the game, mm-hmm. right, we very much talked about like, well, is Unia actually getting spells from somewhere or is this all in Unia's head? Yeah. And that was a question that I presented to Daft before we started the game. And I think my answer was whatever makes a better story. Whatever makes a better story. Yeah. And then and then right in session two, I go, hey, guess what? You're not the only one who's talking to Aridin. Yeah. Uh, we did get a question, uh, though the person who asked it has asked to be asked to remain anonymous. Anonymous. And therefore, they will be getting a random name random generated name. from our our Chalaxian name generator, because <laughs> the predominant human ethnicity in Corvosa is Chalaxian. So we are going to go with uh, Maltina. Maltina. From Agorian. Maltina from Agorian writes in, who is Aridin? And why does everyone say he's dead? Ah. Uh, a good question. Uh, and one that I, I try to address in the show, but we are also coming into this from, you know, we've been playing Pathfinder for like, what, three or four years now? Yeah. So a lot of the Pathfinder lore is ingrained in our heads and we don't think about talking about it. Um, now, you did a lot of the building for like unia and everything do you want to talk about yeah yeah sorry for the clickies i was actually bringing up the aridin uh pathfinder wiki entry just to make sure that i can cover everything yeah there's a lot aridin is a big figure yeah uh, aridin is in fact such a big figure that the entire current era uh is based around uh when aridin died (laughs) yeah um, so I'm going to go grab more wine. Uh, would you like to uh, tell our lovely listeners about yes. who Aridin is? Yes. So Aridin was the god of humanity. Um, he uh, also called the last of the first humans, the last Islanti, the living god, etc. Um, was once a human from the continent of Aslant, which is sort of the pathfinder equivalent of Atlantis. Um he survived a pretty horrific uh, apocalyptic asteroid impact uh, called uh, in an event called Earthfall, uh, and um, which destroyed the continent of Aslant uh, and left him as the last Aslanti alive. Uh, he got uh, he was a, um, a caster of some sort. Uh, a, I think he was a, a wizard. A wizard of great renown. Uh, he did a lot of divination magic. He found a lot of, quote unquote, found a lot of <laughs> artifacts. Um, yes. When I say that Aridin is or was the god of humanity, uh, Aridin embodied a lot of things that humans would see as uh, positive, uh, you know, self-sufficiency, 
um, sort of tenacity, a desire to um, to spread one's own ideas, to gain power, and so on. Aridan also embodies a lot of negative things about uh, colonialism, especially. Yes. Aridan is the god of prophecy, uh, or was, and in a lot of ways, uh, if you'll excuse the pun, was the god of manifest destiny. Yes. Um, and uh, he oversaw sort of the expansion of humanity, uh, of, well, of a very specific set of humanity, uh, of Taldor and Sheliax into lands where there were already people living, but who were judged not to be, you know, sufficiently advanced yeah. for the glorious future Aridin was looking to bring. Yeah. And, and then he would take their, their stuff, yeah. especially their magic items. And say, look what I found. Look what I found. Like, I, I found this. I it's found mine this. now. Um, yeah. And um, it was especially popular in Cheliax. Uh, Cheliax being sort of the, we'll say the Spanish Inquisition um, country. Yeah. Um, Cheliax was being prepared for Aridin's return in glory, sort of this this second coming where Aridin yes. would um, no longer, you know, Aridin was alive on Galarian for a while and then he went and became a god and then he was going to come back. But mm. instead of coming... 4606. Yeah. But instead of coming back... Yes. An enormous cataclysm happened. Yes. Um there was a there was a huge cataclysm. Uh the the maelstrom, which is this constant hurricane that continually pelts uh the the uh the coast the of, coast of Avistan and Garund. Yeah. Um, uh, and for the last hundred years, prophecy has been broken. Um yeah. Uh, it used to, yeah, it used to be that if a prophecy said something was going to happen, that thing would happen. And now prophecies can say a thing will happen and it won't happen. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, the best example of that is the prophecy saying that Aridin was going to return. Yep. And then he died. Yeah, he didn't. Um, and, you know, that now there's an enormous hurricane and uh, uh, oh, called and, the Eye of Abendigo. Oh, and this huge, this huge portal to the abyss. The realm of demons opened up uh, in uh, a land called Sarkoris, now known as the World Wound, for this huge crack that has opened up in it. Yeah, and you know, um, and if you want more have... information about that, you can check out Wrath of the Righteous. Yeah, so, uh, um, so this age of glory that was supposed to happen never happened. The age that people on Galeria now find themselves in is called the Age of Lost Omens because prophecy doesn't work anymore. Um, yes, but the thing is. Even though people are pretty sure Aridin died, nobody knows what happened to him. No gods have come forward being like, I killed Aridin. <laughs> yeah. Nobody claimed his domains. Um, yeah. uh, Phrasma's being pretty tight-lipped on anything that could have happened. Yeah. Phrasma being aware of all things that live and die. Yeah, um, I, I have seen that Phrasma um, knew that Aridin's death was coming and didn't tell him. Yeah, I've um, heard that. Uh, it's also, I've also seen it said online that Phrasma quote, has judged Aridin's soul and no one knows where it went, but I can't find a source on that. If you know the source on Phrasma having already judged Aridin's soul and, and nobody knowing where it went, please let me know, because this is one of those things that I sit here going, I don't know what happened to Aridin. Yeah. Really. Nobody really knows what happened to Aridin. It's one of those it's one of those setting 
secrets yeah. that Paizo has said they have written out, but they're never going to publish, which I think is a great idea. Um, yeah. But it, it, it leaves this design space open to the game master, and I love it. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, some of these things in our... Uh, have sort of informed my, um, or rather, Unia's uh, attitudes toward other faiths. Um, yes. You know, so they don't have they 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 don't feel great about Phrasma, specifically for the reason of that Phrasma may have known that Aridin was going to die. Phrasma did take the prophecy domain. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the one but domain. Such as it yeah, is. Such as it is. Yes. Um, and and so you know. I've also, uh, and we've moved we've moved this into sort of how the remaining worshippers, such as they are, of Eridan talk about other faiths, is that the gods who were raised by the Starstone, um, the extremely <laughs> powerful mythic artifact that Eridan raised out of the water uh, and put into this extremely difficult dungeon. Starstone being the remnant of the meteor that crashed into Galarian. Yes. Yes. Uh, Cause Such that if you you know if you if you proceed through this dungeon and you survive and you reach the star stone you may claim divine power for yourself. Um, Unia sees the gods who have be, who have ascended to godhood through this method as being essentially beholden to Aridin, but giving him none of the requisite yeah. respect yeah. Uh, for their uh, their ascension to godhood. Yeah. Um, it's it's an interesting uh it's an interesting worldview, yeah. Um, but I, I mean I I hope that this uh answered your question, Maltina from Agorian. Yes. Uh, and that now you know who Aridin is, and if you don't feel like you know enough about Aridin, uh, feel free to uh, check out the Inner Sea World Guide or Inner Sea Gods that has more information than you could possibly want about Aridin. So much. Um, there's so much information in those books. I love those books. They're great. By the way. Uh, but anyway, let's get right back into it. Um, so we're in session two now. Right, yes. Um, and we have met Kester. We have met Kester. We so love Kester so We talked much. to Kester. We let out the kids. We uh, didn't kill the dog. I don't we didn't know. Kill the, yeah, the other thing being that there was a dog here, uh, and the dog attacks along with um, Hookshank's Gruller. Uh, but you guys didn't kill the dog. No, we uh, didn't. So I'm very proud of you for not killing yeah. the dog. Um, honestly, if I had a nickel for every Paizo Adventure Path in which I don't kill the dog, <laughs> I would have like three nickels. It is really kind of crazy how many <laughs> how many Paizo Adventures involve like dogs uh, either attacking the party and you having to fight a dog uh, or just dogs in dangerous scenarios or kids in dangerous scenarios. <laughs> the other game, The other game that I've run uh and that i'm continuing to run right now is iron gods and that starts with a robot attacking a child mm-hmm. uh, and you have to save the child uh yeah. and i mean it's generally assumed in the adventure path that you save the kid but <laughs> putting children and dogs in harm's way paizo loves doing it yes um, um but you you defeated you defeated hookshanks and yes. you made the fun, dog flee yes we had a fun little conversation with kester and then we went into the under pr into the underpier, the namesake of the episode. Where we killed the frick out of a sharky. You killed a sharky in one I, I, fucking hit. I critted on it. One hit. I critted on it. It was supposed to be this 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 tent pole event. There's art specifically of this fight, and you killed it in one hit. <laughs> it's like um, we rolled high on the reception check and it's like, oh, there's a sharky there. And yeah. it's like, I'm gonna spear it. Yeah, this is killed it. 
Well, this is... I didn't actually. We didn't actually kill it. It's stabilized at yes. like some negative hit points. <laughs> yes, something that I rarely ever track, but I did here because I was like, man, I want my Sharky to come back. It 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 survived. It survived. Uh, will it come back? Who knows? Mm, who knows? Maybe there'll be another Sharky in the future. Mm, who knows? Uh, maybe this Sharky will return with a vengeance. <laughs> I lived, bitch. I lived, bitch. <laughs> uh, but no, you 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 killed the Sharky. Uh, there's also a whole thing with spiders, but. You know, oh yeah, that was a lot. That was a lot, uh, and none of them got to poison you. <laughs> the, the spiders in inside the ship started my my book long frustration with not being able to poison you. Um, but anyway, um, we we managed to finish that, and it was. And then you managed to get to Gadrin's lair. Yeah, in the underpier. And take down Gadrin Lamb and, and his alligator, and his alligator gobble gut. Mm. Yes, he said some nasty things, and he almost killed Lenore. And if Lenore had died there, I would have been very upset. Yes, I still regret not kicking you over it. Like, how would it have been if I had oh kicked Lenore's god. body over in episode two? Oh my god! And killed Lenore in episode two. That would have been. Mm. That would have been really sad. I. Ultimately, ultimately, you were no longer a threat, so I needed to use my actions to, to target the other people. Uh, but it, I wanted, like, Gadrin could have been the sadistic fuck who knew he was going going to go down and just kick, kicked Lenore into the water to spite everyone else. Gosh. Uh, because at that point, you would not have been able to res Lenore. No. You know? No. Uh, we would have, you would we would have, have, we would have married would have her and, take, and taken her house. <laughs> Yeah. And we um, would have been really sad. But instead of Lenore dying, Gadrin died. Yes. And instead of taking Lenore's house, you were able to take all of Gadrin's stuff. Including. Including. The head of Zolara. She was dead the whole time. She was dead time. the whole time. The whole time. The whole time. She's haunting the Harrow deck that we have. She is now haunting the Harrow deck that you have. She's our friend. She is your friend. The Harrow friend. Oh, she's good. Um, but... Uh, yeah, you were able to find uh, the head of uh, Zalara Esmeralda. You learned that she had been dead the whole time. The whole time. First big twist. Big reveal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a pickle. I turned myself into a pickle, Morty. Gosh. Pickle Rick. Pickle Rick. Uh, big reveal. Um, and you found that. You also found the queen's brooch. Mm, we did. And with the queen's brooch, you were able to get audience with the queen. Yes. Which involved, um, you came out of the underpier, um, you tended to your wounds, you did all of that, mm-hmm. and then you left the fishery. And what did you find? Oh, we found pandemonium. Yes. It was a lot. It was a lot. <laughs> there was there was a, a wizard shooting fireballs. There were... Uh, griffins fly, or hippogriffs flying overhead. Yes. There were people screaming. We let out kids into this. Uh, <laughs> yes. We were look. We didn't expect this to happen in the no. two hours we were inside. No one, no one expected this to happen. So the pandemonium. The pandemonium. Wow, I can't talk today. Wow, uh, it's the wine. It's Blame the wine. it on the alcohol. Um. They, um, the pandemonium that had ensued uh, was the result of the announcement that the king was dead. 
Yes. Uh, and and uh, and and so basically the the way that Corvosa exists <laughs> is sort of on the edge of the knife at all times. Mm. And so the announcement that the king is dead was basically everyone's cue to go. There's no law. Fuck everything. <laughs> I'm going to get mine. Fuck all of you. And looting started and everyone just. Yeah. destroyed everything. A lot of people got really upset that the queen took the throne after the king died, which made me wonder what were they expecting we were going to do after the king died? Yeah. I mean, I think moreover it's it's just that people fucking hated Iliosa I mean, because yeah. she was really negative toward the city. Yeah. Like uh, I believe famously Fair. she had a comment that that Corvosa was quote a, a backwater, backwater reek. reek. Um, and so people didn't like her and they didn't want her to be queen. Yeah. And I think a lot of people were secretly holding on to this desire that she would never be queen and that they would have like, they would have a kid, right? Yeah. Break the curse, have a kid. And then the kid will be the next in line. And we never have to deal with this West crown bitch. I as, know. As some people put it. Let's uh, have elections. Uh, no. Um, <laughs> Uh, oh, so, yeah, I did want to talk a little bit about this scene uh, that you found yourselves coming out into. Uh, this scene is described in the book as very much like a cutscene, mm-hmm. uh, And I, I'm generally opposed to the idea of, quote, cutscenes in tabletop games. Because in a game where you have complete control over everything that happens, I don't like telling you what happens. Mm-hmm. But I think every now and then it's good in this sense where you get yeah. to see things that are far beyond your ability. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, you have hippogriffs flying through the air in a V formation in a way that's very much meant to evoke, like, the Air Force being deployed. Yeah. Because that's what it is. Yeah. They are the Corvosan Air Force. This is yeah. the this is the Sable Company Marines. And they are on, on the average, I think, level seven Rangers. Mm. And you had a wing of five of them flying over. Yeah. On and we hippogriffs. Had a, and we had a, a wizard casting fireball. Yeah, a wizard casting fireball. And I wanted to really set the stage that the scene that you found yourselves in is way beyond your capabilities yeah. that you can handle. And you need to find us somewhere safe. Yeah, which right? we definitely got that impression. And we were definitely yeah. like, oh, crap, let's go somewhere safe. <laughs> also, I, I really like I really like the Sable Company. I like the idea of this like fantasy Air Force. Yeah. Uh, I even yeah. wrote a bunch of Air Force jargon specific for the Sable Company. Nice. Uh, it hasn't come up in the game yet. And it's one of those things that I would love to bring in, but I can't find a spot for. Yeah. But I have this this whole set of Air Force jargon, which was entirely based on me, like, watching Top Gun and being like, <laughs> I love the way they talk in Top Gun. And I want to come up. And, and also, um, uh, you know, just other other instances of Air Force jargon. That I was like, I need to come up with something that's specific for hippogriff riders. Yeah. And so, like, one of the things is that they measure distances in bolts, which is a bolt is the maximum effective range of a crossbow. And so you could say that you're, like, three bolts out, Uh uh, which is you will be able to attack in 12 seconds Uh because you're going to move, move, and then you're going to be able to attack. Uh Um, But I didn't, I haven't got, I haven't. As of this moment, I still have not been able to use any of this, <laughs> um, and I'm and I'm bummed. But uh, but the session was very good, mm-hmm. and I had a great time with the session. Yeah, there was a a whole new element of um, tension 
brought in when it's not just that the party needs to find somewhere safe to go. It's that the party needs to take their child. Yes. You also had a child with you. Yes. We had Kester in tow. We were like, Hey Kester, we killed Gadron. You should come with us. And he went to your now favorite place in the city. Mm -hmm. I think Citadel Volshianik. Yes. And you delivered, um, Kester and all of Gadron Lamb's stuff. And all of Gadron Lamb's stuff to Citadel Volshianik. Yes. Uh, you only dealt with sort of the bounty board uh, operating sergeant <laughs> uh, at the front of the Citadel. Yeah. Uh, and they were all very busy. Yeah. And uh, you, you also met um, some Witcher <laughs> characters. Adventuring party, the native characters from The Witcher. Native yes. characters from The Witcher. Because when we recorded that, it was right after The Witcher had dropped on Netflix, and we yeah, love it. It was great. Uh, and so I was like, I need some NPCs. Let's go with all the Witcher characters that I already know from playing yes. all the Witcher games. Yes, <laughs> um, we we have we have brought Roach in as well. Yes. <laughs> and so you did that. You dropped off Kester, and then you made our way to the castle to made- drop off the brooch. And you had a truly <laughs> grueling Grueling. Fight yeah. Grueling's the word for it. Um, now, if you're listening to the show, you will know that, that we cut this imp fight really short. Mm. It went on forever. That was, it was like three hours of combat. It was like three hours of combat. And, and moreover, it was three hours of combat that involved enemies healing every round. Yep. We, and also... Missing. Everyone missing. The yep. enemies missed. You missed. Went back and forth. And then they healed up the damage that they'd taken. And then you missed. And then they healed. And you missed. And they healed. And they. It was basically wait. It, it was basically everybody swung ineffectually at each other until it came around to Lenore's turn. And then if she hit, she did some damage. Yes. And then we waited. And then it came back around to Lenore, and Lenore did some damage. And at one point, they made Ophelia run away. <laughs> yeah. But then Ophelia came back. <laughs> um, and then, and then the uh, the house drakes showed up, and things started going a little better. Yes. But then the house drakes missed, and then both of the, and then the imps and the house drakes ran into each other and both fell on yeah. the ground. <laughs> so, so for a little bit of background on the scene, this fight is one where um uh it it kind of comes down to me just not reading the book well enough, um. In that the the fight when I'm prepping an encounter, what I will do is uh, the the adventure path likes to list the enemies that you will face in an area at the end of the sort of description of the creatures mm-hmm. that you find, and in this they describe two house drakes and four imps. There's actually supposed to be, I believe. Let me let me double check this real quick. Yeah, it's listed differently in the section of the fight specifically. Yeah, it says four house, four drakes house drakes and two imps. And two imps, which would have been a way easier encounter. Yeah. So um, we so we ended up fighting three imps because Rain was waiting to bring in the fourth imp if things were going yes. too quickly. Yeah, I remember reading it and going, that seems like a lot of imps. It was a lot of it imps. It was a Rader. lot of imps. <laughs> <laughs> So you saved a noble named Amandolento, and then you went and you had an audience with the queen. You mm-hmm. talked to the queen. She rewarded you. She told you that she wanted you to report to um, Cressida Croft yeah, we to were... act as heroes of Corvosa. Yeah. And, and you were all very impressed with her. Yeah, we were like, why does everybody hate this lady? She seems okay. She seems fine. Yeah. She called us heroes. Yeah, she gave us know? lots of money. She seemed, like, stressed, but, you yep. know. Yeah, and all of this is by design. <laughs> Boy, were you wrong. Oh, boy. Um, so from there, you went on into session four. We woke Shot up before the, you dropped the woke, first 
shopping episode. Yes, we woke up. We woke up in the morning and Feeling we stepped like outside and Unia got filth fever and we said, "What's going on?" Oh, sorry, I did a different song there. Um, um, this this episode uh, now was this the episode where we introduced Heads Tales? Um, or was that later? I feel I'm, like was it General Bats that we introduced Heads Tales? I feel like in General Bats we introduced Heads Tales. Okay. Um, but, um, here we went to the Temple of Shellen. Oh right. Uh, to heal Unia of their filth fever, uh, they were they woke up feeling sick and they were very cranky about it. You contracted filth fever from uh, a a uh, prophet of Grotus yes. that you met in the streets in episode uh, two. None of the characters know this. Or three, rather. Um, but there was a, the prophet of Grotus who grabbed Unia's arm and told them that the end was nigh yes. and sort of said the word sickness and like yes. spit all over them. That gave them filth fever. That gave them filth uh, fever. Um, yes. So, yeah. So that was how Unia got filth fever. Uh, and they were not happy about it. And so Lenore, being a worshiper of Shellen, took them to the Temple of Shellen, uh, where they were doted upon to their uh, great disgruntlement uh, <laughs> and were cured yes. of their filth fever. Yes. And mm. uh, then I think you also got silver weapons. Yes, from a from guy who. Brave was, Johnson. Yes, Brave Johnson, a man who uh, had apparently killed a lot of were creatures. Yes. Um, and that was pretty much all that happened in that episode, I believe. Also, Ophelia, um, as a cover story for her vigilante ident uh, identity, um, basically said that Siren was her girlfriend. Yes. And uh, this, then this uh, thinking that this would neatly explain why they are always in the same place, uh -huh. why they meet up with each other, why they are supposedly sleeping in the same room and et cetera. Uh yes. <laughs> That's and why you shouldn't knock on the door and open the door yes. when uh, they're both in there. Yes. You know. Yes. Um, but uh, it didn't work that way. Oh, everybody, you know, thought it was very cute and wanted to know lots of things. And yes. you know, suddenly it's, oh, it's awkward. <laughs> but anyway, we, from there we go on to, to session five, which um, I find session five to be one of the best encapsulations of what this game is. Yes. You went to Citadel Volshynik. You got your mission, mm -hmm. right? I believe you actually got the mission at the end of session yeah, four. Yeah, we got the we got the mission at the end of session four, and we went but, on to all the worlds meet. Yes. Well, before that, you went to the um city. You went to City Hall. Oh, right. Yes. To get information on all the worlds meet. Yes. It was a great thing. It involved bribing a uh, public official. You can. <laughs> You can check That's out great. session five if you want to if you want to see that. That was great. Uh, and then you go through they go through the the butcher shop. Uh, all the worlds meet. The best named place in any adventure path. Right? It's really good. It's really good. And uh, you found out that they were chopping up humans. Yep. That they had been killing uh, as part of a uh, taking care of business service that they I were offering. One hundred percent promise. I had no idea what was happening in all the worlds meet you, before we got there. You were I brought, accusing. I brought up the idea that maybe they were killing people and chopping them into meat because I was thinking, what is the worst thing they could possibly you, be doing? You here? started accusing these people of of butchering humans long before there was any evidence <laughs> at all. Yeah, it's just like you know, there's you accuse somebody of butchering humans, and they go, and they go, oh my god, that's disgusting. That's disgusting. Why on earth would we do that? Get out of here! Or they go, we need to kill you now because you know too much. Uh -huh. So, <laughs> yeah. And it turned out that it was the latter. Yeah. 
and he killed them. And then he got to their boss, Varric Van Kaskerken, and he was like, holy shit. They were killing people and butchering them. Yeah. Take me in. And he was ready to basically fall on his sword and get hanged for what his subordinates were doing. Yeah. Um, um, but you guys took it upon yourselves to not have that happen. Yeah. And be like, we want the people who are actually doing this Dude to was, get punished. Dude was broken up. He was horrified. He was horrified. We were like, oh my word. Um, you know, we, we thought that you were behind all of this. And but, you know, we really believe you when you say you weren't. So we get into sessions uh, like six and uh, six and seven and such, yes. which are mostly dedicated to hunting down information. Yes. Um, and there was a lot of like interrogating Van Kaskerken and uh, some random encounters. You had a random encounter with some charlatans. Um, <laughs> Where the city guard were convinced they had become the protagonist because they were rolling so well and I was rolling so crap. They were rolling really well. Um, and I still like that scene. There are a lot um, of things we need to do to make up for my horrific <laughs> dice luck. Uh, that's amazing. one of my favorites. Um most of these sessions was spent like sort of pursuing leads and also letting the party get to know each other a little bit better, mm-hmm. which I think is a very important thing yeah. to get across uh, when you're when you're yeah. Um, uh, bonding. Yeah. You know, one of the ways that I that I did this was because they were all in the same house. Uh, we had a lot of breakfast scenes and we, yes. we sort of lampshade it later on about how many <laughs> breakfasts we spend just talking to each other. But I feel like it's a good way to. Um, like, you know, one of the things that's, that can be a little difficult when you are playing all of the party members yourself is communicating to the audience sort of what your thought process is or what the character's thought processes are in reaching the conclusion or the plan that you're eventually going to go with. And so I usually find that uh, if there are things characters need to talk about, about what we're going to do today, they do it over breakfast. Um, and so it turned out to be a really good mechanic for, um, getting, getting, uh, character exposition out. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so I'm very happy with that. Yeah. Uh, it also, you know, um, allows for cute little character moments like, um, you know, Kester being suspicious about fruit and things like that. Uh, <laughs> yes. That was, that was the scene where the bananas, uh, uh, thing, uh, originated. Yes. Um, so, so one of the things that I've actually found kind of strange uh, with our Pathfinder experience is that in almost every game we've been in, there has some, there's been some sort of, despite all of the crazy high magic shit that goes on in these games, <laughs> it seems that there's always something with produce, something, something to do with fruit in, in our first Pathfinder game ever, which was a Kingmaker game. Um, it was that you summoned a protean at one point. Yeah, someone then was trying it to was, learn protean, the language. Yeah, and then when it was defeated, it it, it spawned. It had to spawn something random, right? Yeah. Something totally random, and then it so it spawned pears with a plus one enhancement bonus. And if you know Pathfinder, <laughs> a, pl- a plus one enhancement bonus is something that increases like a weapon's uh, attack and damage or an armor's armor proficiency. So these were plus one pairs. Yes. Uh, and and so pairs became the rallying cry of that game. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And then when I was running um, Iron Gods, <laughs> we were in book one of Iron Gods. And um, and at, at, at a certain point, you guys were supposed to go to a town council meeting. And uh, one of the characters wandered off and needed a quick excuse for what he was doing 
in the wee hours of the morning. And I was like, oh, he went off to one of the farms. So it was a corn. It was so it was a farmer who had a lot of corn, and this guy had decided to fix his fence. And you guys talked to the farmer, who was just this random fucking NPC that I pulled out of my ass. And he was like, you guys want to shuck some corn? And, you know, me sitting here going, like, there's no way they're going to want to shuck corn. Several, you fuckers several shuck corn. Several characters agreed to shuck For corn. For 45 minutes. <laughs> Until eventually I had to go like, okay, the guards come along and collect you to be like, hey, you you just did hero things in this town. We need you at the meeting. <laughs> but but since then, corn has been a central plot device yes. of my Iron Gods game. As an inveterate introvert, I understand trying to find something, anything to do to avoid a meeting. <laughs> <laughs> and so in this game, bananas became the thing. Yeah, I guess. Um, yeah. Uh, and... <laughs> Uh, and, uh, if you're, if you're interested in, uh, what happened with the corn, uh, go check out, uh, Dungeon Dive Bar and be sure to message their DM, uh, Sam Newmark, who is responsible for many of the corn related <laughs> shenanigans that have happened in our, uh, in our Iron Guts game. Yes. But we're not here to talk about corn or even bananas for that matter. We're here to talk about Curse of the Crimson Throne. Yes. Oh, I did want to. I did want to actually call something out. Uh, so, session seven is titled um, "Shadows Pool Beneath," which is actually a Watchmen reference uh-huh. because I fucking love Watchmen and I mm-hmm. love throwing Watchmen things into everything that I can. I also love V for Vendetta. Mm-hmm. And in case that's not clear, with me running a thing where your guys are going to rise up against the uh, <laughs> the government, I like V for Vendetta. Sorry. Um, and so, uh, this is actually a reference to a line from Watchmen. And the line is thus. I sat on the bed. I looked at the Rorschach blot. I tried to make it look like a spreading tree. Shadows pooled beneath it, but it didn't. It looked more like a dead cat I once found. The fat, glistening grubs writhing blindly, squirming over each other, frantically tunneling away from the light. But even that isn't the real horror. The horror is, in the end... It is simply a picture of empty, meaningless blackness. And I picked that quote because I wanted to sort of evoke this idea that you guys are sitting here trying to piece together everything that you've seen. You're mm-hmm. trying to piece it together and form it into something that has meaning. Mm-hmm. But you're just looking at it and there's just nothing there. So much of it, of what happened at All the World's Meet, seems mm-hmm. to come down to just senseless cruelty. And it kind of does. Some sort of just delighting in killing people mm-hmm. and delighting in the depravity yes. of feeding those people to other people yes. without um, their knowledge or consent. Yeah. And 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 it, it just seemed horrible and you guys were just trying to find meaning from it. Yeah. And I think I think it's one of the great strengths of this adventure path is that you're you're looking for this meaning and there is none. <laughs> Why did these guys start feeding people people? We didn't have anything else we could do with the bodies. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Um and you know, so uh sort of that avenue of investigation exhausted, we managed or we decided to take uh some of the things that we had found mm-hmm. over the course of our adventures to 
An occultist. Yes, an occultist an recommended by the yeah a, a, a uh, an occultist that was recommended by the Corvosan Guard as sort of like um uh like uh, a forensics expert. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I I wanted to do get a so little we were, bit CSI. Yeah, we were we were very much getting into this sort of like police procedural sort of thing at this point, where you know, oh, a thing happened out there, and the Corvosan Guard's going to send you out, and you're going to do it. And I was like, well, we need somebody in the lab. Yeah. You know, yeah. we need our ducky. We need our Abby. <laughs> uh, and so our our version of all of that became Erica, the occultist, uh, who the Ergothoan er- Ergothoan true, true neutral, neutral. Ergothoan, uh, who who at one point in the past we we have gathered from talking to her uh, was probably a necromancer. Yes. But she was caught. She was convicted. And she was offered some sort of plea deal where she would get to keep the zombie of her husband if she worked for the Corvosan Guard. Which she agreed to. Which she agreed to. And so now she works as a diviner and uh, and a uh, forensics expert trying to catch other criminals. Yeah, doing object reading. Yeah, doing object reading. So we brought her some objects to read, both of which were daggers. And you read them. And we read uh, them. And uh, one of the daggers you found out was, you know, intimately connected to Rolf Lamb, the guy that you were searching for. The serial killer uh, the related serial to Gadron Lamb. Yes. Specifically Gadron Lamb's, Lamb's son. Uh, and the other dagger you found out was a Rakshasa. <laughs> Sometimes you sometimes you find out useful things and sometimes your dagger tries to kill you yes. uh, or escape. And that that led to, I think, one of the funnier chase scenes uh, yes. in the show uh, as we chase this tiny serpentine uh, silver uh, shape shifting yes. thing as it attempted to escape through the city streets. Uh, and then eventually stabbed it in front of a bunch of onlookers who were very confused yes. and not a small amount distressed over what had just proceeded in front of them. Yes. Um, uh, but you managed to defeat the Rakshasa. Mm-hmm. And so then you had this this kind of clear connection between Rolf Lamb and his son. Um, and you and you wanted to investigate Rolf Lamb further. Yes. Um, and so sort of going off of some of the evidence that you had which was um that um what's his name um oh we don't know his name uh a (laughs) friend of lenore's husband went missing in the southern part of corvosa yeah near um the pillar wall which is this line of these hundred foot tall columns that don't support anything some yeah. sort of remnant of a civilization long past. There's a lot of things in Corvosa that are like that. <laughs> um, and uh, there is this abandoned quarter down there along the pillar, up, along the pillar wall. Sorry, um, that you guys went to investigate, and you just found Darrow. Lots and lots, lots of Darrow. and lots of Darrow, and the Darrow tried to kill you. It was a whole thing. We ran away, but you were able to find a boot print. We were. That matched up with an academy-style boot. And from your previous investigation, you knew that Rolf Lamb had been in academy, but had been kicked out for his flesh golem experiments. Yeah. <laughs> um, basically, he was killing he was killing homeless people and animals and making golems out of them. Yeah. Uh, Which and, is, even and, by academy standards, pretty fucked up. Yeah, academy is pretty fucked. But even they were like, this is too much. You got to stop. Get out of here, dude. Um, 
And uh, so you found this old Academy style boot and you were able to basically be like, we're pretty sure that that's Rolf Lamb. Uh, we're going to keep investigating this further. Mm. Uh, but you still needed to find uh, two people that got away from uh, all the world's meat. Yes. Baldrago and Corallo. And you were like, we have one last idea. Uh, let's just go to all the inns and see if we can find any sign of them. And then you, so you had your Hence, bar crawl. The bar crawl. The bar crawl uh, is one of my favorite things that we've done in the entire game. And I yes. know, like, obviously, I enjoy the um, the overall experience of uh, going through the, the adventure path and hitting all of the plot points and solving the mystery and things like that. But I really enjoyed the bar crawl. I thought that it was a good opportunity for, now that we had sort of gotten the characters established a little bit more, to have them sort of interact with the world in a way that was a little bit more... Uh, a little bit less scripted, a little bit more off the cuff, and a little bit more casual and maybe a little bit more goofy. Um, <laughs> so basically goofy. what we did was Rain said, I have a list of bars and inns here, and um, we can try to figure out which ones uh, Baldrago and Corallo would have gone to, uh, and we can go there. And I said, okay. He's like, now do you want to uh, go to any ones in particular, or should we just... Pick all of the squalid ones. <laughs> They're marked in the book as quote unquote squalid yes. uh, inns and, and taverns. And so you went to all the squalid. You went to all the squalid inns and taverns. Yes, all the squalid. Well, specifically all the squalid um, inns, I think. Ah, I don't yes. think you went to the squalid taverns. Uh, um, yeah, because Buldrago and Corallo had to stay somewhere. They had to stay somewhere. Yeah. Um, now, ultimately, you didn't find them. No, we didn't. Um, which but was, we did find a lot of fun. Yeah, it was very much, <laughs> you know, it was very much one of these cases. Generally, as a GM, I'm of the opinion that if your players want to do something, they should be able to do the thing that they want to do and succeed with whatever their goal is. But yeah, sometimes, you know, you can't always get what you want. <laughs> but if you try sometimes, you yeah. just might find... You get what you need. Yes. And what you needed was, I mean, really, uh, just GM side here. What they needed was a way to experience experience what the city was like. Mm-hmm. Um, free of combat and things like that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And um, so we got we got some fun things. like. I mean, you did have one combat. You fought some rats That's that right. came out of the Temple of Aridus. Yeah, we fought some rats. That led to a good thing where uh, Unia and Damien talked about using offensive spells on people without their consent. Uh, we got a little bit of Damien trying really hard to live up to people's expectations and not really having any idea how to do that or what that's yes. supposed to look like. Um, um, but ultimately, it was kind of just a tour of uh, what life in Corvosa is like Yeah. Uh, by way of going out drinking. Yeah, that you know? was great. And I think um, I think this this for me this really gets down to um I find that one of the best ways to get to know what a town is like mm -hmm. is to go and bar crawl through it. Yeah. You know, like when you get you get you get exposed to a good portion of the population and while it might not be the 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 neutral <laughs> expression of what these people are like. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's an honest expression yeah, of what they're like. Yeah. Um uh, and think... I've I've bar crawled through many places. Yeah. Uh and um uh and I I think that it's a good way to get to know the character of a town. Mm -hmm. I think one uh, of my I think one of my favorite parts of that bar crawl was when we went to the inn that was near Lenore's house. 
and the people there knew yes. her. Yeah, that was a, that was a very important thing to me is to establish while while the entire session consists of we don't find anything at this bar, we go to the next bar. We don't find anything at this bar, we go to the next bar. But every bar was so different. Yeah. That I was like I really wanted to encapsulate how all of these are different. Yeah. You know, you've got your you've got your bar downtown that's just the place that people go after work. Mm-hmm. That they're like they're looking to blow off steam. People get in fights here all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you also have your uh, just sailor bar, which is just like, look, we're trying to unwind. We're gonna play some games. We, uh, unfortunately, the bartender says we can't stab people anymore. <laughs> so we're not gonna play knivesies. We're just gonna play coinsies. We're just gonna play coinsies. <laughs> um, uh, uh, and then you have your just like quiet. Um, quiet, like, midtown bar. Yeah. Also a good way of showing that not all of the places marked as squalid are actually gross. Yeah. Yeah. You um, know, they're just sort of, like, this place is nice. It's a little run down, a little simple. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's got the, it's got Nigel, the barfly. Yeah, it's it got turns the, out. The, 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 the bartender knows Lenore. Yeah. And, you know, uh, she and uh, Edgar used to come down here and have some drinks sometimes. Yeah. It turns out that not all of the places that the, the Church of Abadar uh, <laughs> right. uh, dictates as being uh, quote squalid and run down or even just all the places that don't have a high budget yeah they're not all like terrible yeah you know like and and uh, I, I this sort of gets into like a little bit of um, American morality that I that I wanted to deal with in this mm-hmm. game there is sort of a there's sort of a tendency in American culture to equate being being poor with being yeah. a failure or or yeah. a criminal or whatever but like ultimately you know being being poor is a it's it's just a circumstance that you're born into yeah. much like any other and there's um and there's 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 people who are poor who are good and there's people who are poor who are bad yeah uh, and um, i wanted to get across with all of the bars that you go to that are all marked quote squalid and unappealing by the church of abadar again a church of like wealth and uh, and commerce, commerce and law uh, that sees all of these places as being not worth your time. These are actually places that are kind of okay. Yeah. Um, and um, some of them are kind of shit shows. Yeah. The, um, the fish jack was fish uh, jack was pretty experience. nasty. Uh, but it's not because they're quote squalid. Yeah. And like the this this sort of moralistic approach to. Um, social class is very prevalent in Corvosa as well. Something that we haven't really gotten into beyond, say, the the first couple of episodes Mm -hmm. is um, that, like, uh, poor people in Corvosa and especially homeless people in Corvosa are treated as if they do not exist. Yeah. There's actually, um, if you get into the Corvosa guide, there is a word that I've I think we might have thrown into the game at one point. A couple of times, I think, uh, in, like, rumors. Which is is that they refer to uh, homeless people vagrants as empties uh the idea being that they are they are bereft of anything possibly even a soul um and 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 so the term that they use for people that live in the shingles and vagrants and things like that Mm -hmm. is empties and i I was like that is one of the most horrific terms you can come up with for people but it's what corvosans throw around like all the time yeah uh and like yeah a lot of things about corvosa are meant to interrogate the uh, well sort of american ideals of how colonialism mm. is like some sort of good and destined thing yes. uh, the idea that wealth is a sign of moral purity uh and 
um, that your civilization, by yeah. virtue of being your civilization, is the best civilization. Um, yeah. And there's there's a lot more stuff that uh, you know that we'll go into later <laughs> there's about a, this. There, but there's there's a good deal of the Corvosian setting that is meant to interrogate these yes. notions. Um, there is a lot of I will I will tell you now. There is a lot of that in later books, mm -hmm. but you're not into that yet, so we won't. Yes, we won't talk about that. Going too much back yet. to the bar crawl, Damien got super drunk Damien because got Damien super drunk. has the lowest con score, and Rain really wanted us to all get sloshed, <laughs> put in the two drink minimum. Yes. Uh, at the last bar we went to. Um, yeah, uh, and 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 that became your rallying cry: two drink minimum. Two drink minimum. Um, so you you finish your bar crawl. You don't manage to find uh, Baldrago and Corallo. You do find a lead on where you might be able to find them. Yes. In on Endrin Isle, which is um, which is so so the construction of Corvosa is such that you have a peninsula, mm -hmm. right? And then you have uh, this little channel of water called the Narrows of Saint Alica, which is uh, crisscrossed by a bunch of wooden bridges and one really big stone bridge. Mm -hmm. um, and then you have Endrin Isle, uh, and so in the western part of Endrin Isle, you have Bridge Front, which is the shingles, which is one of the poorest uh, neighborhoods. And that's actually where they were hiding out. And I kind of decided that beforehand. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but I wanted you guys to go through the, with, the gar, with the bar crawl anyway. Bar and so toward the great. end of it, I gave you the hint that they're over there. Yeah. But in the night, they were captured. By. By who? We don't know. Question They mark. just appeared at Citadel Volshynik one day. Tied up. Tied up. Bound and gagged. Bound and gagged. Uh, and we move into, um, we move into unexpected allies. So basically we went to Citadel Volshyanek nursing our hangovers the next day. Uh, and Cressida Croft, the field marshal, uh, told us, hey, you know those guys you were looking for? Uh, somebody dropped them off this morning. And we were like, great. That's, uh. That's weird. That's weird. She was like, uh, yeah, it is weird. Did you guys do that? And we were like, no. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but she did give you a tip on uh, that she needed your help again. Yes. Like, it's great that we found these guys and we're going to get everything we want out of them and we're yes. going to get a full confession. It's going to be yes. great. Um, but I have another job for you. And she directed you to go to Eel's End, um, which is... Also up on Ender Nile. Which is also up on Ender Nile. Wow, a lot of things... Really swarming around Endrin Isle, huh? Mm, yeah. I wonder what's going on there. Yeah, um, the head. <laughs> yes. If you look at a map of Corvosa, <laughs> it 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 looks like a it looks like a penis. A penisula. Yeah. Uh, it looks like a fucking chode. <laughs> like it's kind been of, squished kind of, down. Kind of a squishy warty chode. Yeah. It's been squished down. It looks like a penis, and and Endrin Isle is kind of the tip of the penis. If your dick looks like Corvosa, please see a doctor. Please see a doctor. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, <laughs> wow. Yeah, you should you should see a doctor. Um, but anyway, um, so so you went up to Eel's End. And Eel's End uh, is on the eastern side of Endrin Isle. Yes. Uh, and it's supposed to be the, you know, it's it's uh, you'll never find a more wretched hive of scum, scum and villainy. villainy. Yes. Uh, and so you go into this place and... Uh, you guys breathed right through this place. Yeah, um, uh, I rolled really well in my diplomacy checks. There's a diplomacy check listed in here, which, um, for those of you who aren't familiar with, with Pathfinder Adventure Paths, a lot of times uh, there will be some content that is gated behind a check that is so high that it's 
supposed to be un unattainable unless you have a character that's built for the thing that they're describing. Mm -hmm. And in this case, the thing that we're describing happened to be diplomacy checks. And my and party you face. got it. Ophelia rolled, I think, a 19 on die. And then uh, two characters yeah. helped. And so you were able to get in with to like seek a, like audience. A, yeah, with like a diplomacy check for like 33 or something completely bonkers yeah. for the level three party we were. Yeah, and so we were able to seek audience with um, Devargo Barvasi, the king of spiders. The king of looking spiders. Looking to get some dirt on the Chelish ambassador. Um, one Darvain Gios Ampre, uh, because he's been trying to buy up property and sell it at bargain basement prices. <laughs> I think was the way you put it. Yes, bargain um, basement prices. And uh, and so through a series of diplomacy checks, it became clear uh, and bribery. It became clear bribery, that yes. uh, Devargo had this information, and he would be willing to part with it, with it for the right price. Luckily, you guys found. The right price. Yeah. And you were able to get this information and stop chill, uh, stop the Chillaxian ambassador from uh, from really buying up a lot of real estate. Yeah. Uh, uh, you exposed... Well, I mean, you didn't expose him, but you now have the dirt on him that he has been having an affair with uh, the wife of some noble in Chelyax. Mm -hmm. And that's enough information to kind of keep him in line. Yeah. And keep him from causing too much trouble in Corvosa. Yes. It was, uh, it was very successful. And yes. so with that, with that spent, uh, we decided to explore other parts of Eel's End. Uh, we wanted to see if we could find where uh, Shiver was being sold because one of Damien's friends, and this is Damien's campaign trait, actually, um... One of Damien's friends got some shiver from Gadron Lamb and got really sick um, and, is, and at this time was in a coma uh, at the college that both Damien and his friend went to. Uh, and so we decided to look into the drug trade uh, in Eel's End a little bit, went into the, the place where lots of drugs were being sold. Lenore got a terrible contact high, uh -huh. losing four points of wisdom. Yes. Uh, <laughs> And so we quickly hoofed out of there, yes. uh, no pun intended, Damien, <laughs> and uh, tried to go find a place where we could get some lesser restoration done. Yes. Upon which point we ran into Heads Tails. Heads Tails. Uh, our very favorite Wait, was that, was that here? Yes. Lesser, that here? yes, Potion of Lesser Restoblasty. Oh, right, right. Oh, but you had already met Heads Tails before this, right? Oh, Yeah. Yes. Perhaps. Yes. I believe you met you met Ed's Tales in General Bads. Oh yes. Because yes, we did. because General Bads yes, is drawn the, from the conversation part. with him. We have General Goods and General Bads, but you found uh, Head's Tales and you were able to get a potion of lesser restoration. This was which, where the calling restoration Restoblasty came from. Yes. Um, which, you know, every now and then, uh, as a as a GM, you get characters that you get into this character and you just channel some sort of primal force. <laughs> And with heads tails, I don't know what it is, but every time I get into characters heads tails, gold just comes out. You know, <laughs> we had resto blasty there, we had general bads before, and uh, look, there's going to be more coming in season two, <laughs> and um, heads tails features <laughs> quite well. <laughs> uh, heads tails, I love heads tails. I love so heads tails too. 
Um, Our favorite uh, shop proprietor. But yeah, uh, so you're able to get healed. You're able to take down um, uh, uh, Darvangio 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 Sampre. Sampre. Uh, So that people in Or neutralize him. You don't really take him down. Uh, Cressida was very impressed with us. Cressida was very impressed with (laughs) us. And goodness. Yeah. And onward we went. All right. So onward you went. And uh, the next session involved you getting invited to a royal gala. Yes. Uh, and you got some nice clothes from a tailor, uh, a, a wizard tailor. Togamore. Named Togamore. Yes. And his horrible little imp, Pudgy Knuckles. Pudgy who Knuckles. We love dearly. <laughs> yes. Um, and, uh, I'm a proud servant of hell. Yes, yes. of course you are. <laughs> and you were able to get, um, some nice clothes from Togamore, uh, by, mm-hmm. by order of the queen. No yeah. Less. And you went to this lovely gala. And mm-hmm. I, I do need to interject here that, uh, this scene was not entirely of my own design. Um, it is off book, but I got the idea talking to somebody at, um, GCP live Boston, Yes. And so if you are the back person. Back in March. Yeah, back in March. Wow, long time ago. Um, uh, GCP Live, of course, uh, a live show of the Glass Cannon Network uh, where they're playing Strange Eons. Love it. It was one of our bigger inspirations for getting into doing Pathfinder Adventure Path uh, yes. actual play podcasting. Yes. yes. Um, and you should check it out. Um, Do it. And, but anyway, we were hanging out with somebody at GCP Live Boston. And they talked about doing exactly this, which was having a scene where the party gets to go to a gala at the castle. And I was like, that sounds like the best thing. That's the best opportunity for me to introduce all the characters that are going to be featuring later in the books. I need to do it. And so I did it. It was great. Um, and we all loved it. Now I, now my contributions to this idea was specifically getting the party to mingle with people that are going to be influential in the rest of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, to that effect, uh, if you, or anyone you know have played Curse of the Crimson Throne, there is a lot of symbolism in the scene where people are giving gifts to Leosa. Rain's really excited uh, about it. And I'm really excited about it. And I'm really you know, excited I don't like about talking about foreshadowing a lot of the times, but uh, I, I will say He's extremely there is a lot of foreshadowing in that scene, and you should Look, you should so listen cute. to it. <laughs> I'm also I'm also slightly drunk right now. A little bit. Um, but um, so but like the scene is so cool, and there's a lot of symbolism in it, and uh, it's a scene that basically revolves around. I read Iliosa's character sheet, and she has a lot of very expensive items, but she doesn't have them at the start of the adventure. And I was like, we need a way to get her all these items. I'm like, well, she just became queen. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't people be giving her gifts so that she'll mm-hmm. do them favors as queen? Yes. For the rest of her reign. Yes. And so that's the scene that I came up with. Yeah, it was great. It was fun. It was really good. I enjoyed um, it a lot. And yeah, that was. And good. Uh, she asked uh, Lenore if Lenore wanted to join the Gray Maidens, and I went, "I don't know anything about this adventure path, but I have heard of those, <laughs> and they're bad." Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. I Gray feel like are bad news. I, I feel like at this, like at this point. Curse of the Crimson Throne is one of the first adventure paths that Paizo ever made. And they made it before Pathfinder was even a thing. Curse of the Crimson yes. Throne was originally made for D&D 3.5. Yes. And so, you know, where we're sitting in 2020, 
most everybody's heard a little bit about Curse of the Crimson Throne. Um yes. and you know, I've I've it's avoided one of the most a popular adventure paths. I've avoided a lot of stuff. So I'm coming into this mostly unaware of the things that happen. But I have I had heard of the Grey Maidens at this point and I yes. went Oh shit. <laughs> and um we'll get into why the Grey Maidens are bad news a little bit next book. Yeah, you'll find out but, why um, next book. But um you know, we Here, we, we just sort a, of the looming knew. the looming specter of dread. I think I think what the party was able to connect with, uh, as seeing them as a threat, and what and what we were able to channel into the game, is that just the idea that she's forming her own military organization yeah. that like, I don't that answers to guards. her, um, that she doesn't trust the Corvosan guard, the military and civil, uh. Uh, protection force. Yeah, that protects Corvosa. It's not good. Um, and, the, and then yeah, rather than you know putting forth efforts to make the guard like more trustworthy or better, she's just like, I'm going to take all of these resources and I'm going to hoard them for myself and make yep. my own secret army that only own answers to me. Yep. And um, everything's going to be fine. It's everything's like, going to be fine. Uh, um, and so she tasked you. In addition to inviting you to the uh, the uh, Grey Maidens, yes. she did task you with the that she revealed to you that she knew that not only were the rumors that King Edred had been killed, not only were they true, she knew who did it. Yes. And she needed you to go and get the person who did it and bring, and bring them to her. Not to Cressida. Without telling Cressida. Because she doesn't trust Cressida. Uh, and we went, okay, sounds good, because what are you going to tell the queen when she's brought you to a gala? Uh, and we then talked over breakfast the next morning, like, hey, this feels awful. This feels really bad. Like, everything about this feels bad. Yeah. Let's go talk to Cressida. And so with session 13, we were able to get into you guys sort of talking amongst yourselves and going... Hey, we don't want to just do this, right? Yeah, this is one of those situations where having uh, a breakfast scene was really helpful yes. because Rain and I, or Rain had asked me rather after the session with the gala. So, what do you think about this? What do you think is the deal with this Trinia <laughs> yeah. war person? Do you think yeah. she actually did it? If she, you know, do you think that you should go and tell the queen? Do you think that you should? Uh, avoid Cressida Croft and the guard like what are you thinking and so I was able to take a lot of that and bring it in and have my characters talk about it yeah uh, and sort of come up with an idea I mean generally speaking after a session is done one of the things one of my favorite things to do because we live together and we love each other yeah uh, and we and we and we sleep next to each other all the time <laughs> um, is is that uh, after a session I, we will go we will go and we will lay down and I'll go so what do you think the queen's deal is? <laughs> and then I will, which which is my way of coaxing out a long, very involved uh, way of mapping what Daph's idea of the game is. Mm -hmm. uh, and then and then sort of like using that to influence what elements I emphasize and de-emphasize based on what is important. Yeah. And needs to needs to be uh, the center of attention, and what Daph's already kind of picked up. Yeah. Um, so uh, so going into rooftop regicide, I was skeptical that Trinia <laughs> Sabor had actually done what the Queen was accusing her of, and I was very very certain that I needed to tell Cressida. Um, yeah. 
So, uh, yeah, and as we left the house, it turned out things were already sort of kicking off in a way that was yes. not good. Yes, a Hell Knight order known as the Order of uh, the, was it the Nail? Yeah, that was pike. Order of the Nail. I, wait, now I don't uh, remember. Hold up, now I need to check. It's one of the Hell Knight orders. Hell Knights here being um, not necessarily people in league with Hell, but sort of um, a law-keeping force. Order of the Nail. Yeah, a law-keeping force whose sole purpose is to keep the law at all costs, to quell rebellion and anarchy and uh, any kind of dissent or destruction with lethal force if necessary. Yes. Um, the, the Order of the Nail specifically, I don't think this came up in the game, but, um, the Order of the Nail specifically, um, uh, they believe themselves to be above morality, caring only for the establishment of righteous order at all costs. Mm -hmm. Um, and the Order of the Nail very much has a, has a sort of stated goal of taming the wilds. Yeah. And, um, you know, there'd be more of getting into what constitutes the wilds and what Ooh. constitutes taming. And yeah. Well, hey, what about the people that already lived here? Um, yeah. We'll be getting into that a little bit more in some of the later books. Um, but uh, for now, the order of the, now that Corvosa is firmly established, the order of the nail is sort of called in as shock troops. When uh, the Corvosan Guard or the Sable Company Marines can't handle whatever whatever's yeah. going on, um, but anyway, uh, so so you you had to deal with these Hell Knights who are um, pushing into uh, this space, and and essentially what what we got through with like a little bit of talking about it with people in setting mm -hmm. was that you know it very much seemed like the Queen knew who did it. Yeah. Uh, and where she was and where you can find her, right? Mm -hmm. The Hell Knights had, through some method, gathered that the King's Killer was somewhere in this district. Yeah. So we had better information. So we could go and we could find her and we could get some information at least out of her um, and get her somewhere where we could, you know, question her and have the, you know, due process that she deserves yes. uh, take place without uh, the Hell Knights or the angry mob they riled up, uh, killing her. Mm -hmm. And we chased her across the rooftops. Many of us fell off said rooftops. <laughs> uh, and yeah. Lenore managed to succeed on enough skill checks that she made it. That she got uh, there and she tackled her. Tackled Trinia Sabor. Yes. Trinia Sabor was innocent. Uh, yes. As far as you know. As far as we know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, she's just really good at bluffing. Uh, <laughs> she's uh, a bard. We took her. We took her to um, Zalara's abandoned house. We brought um, Cressida, and Cressida brought along her friend uh, Vencarlo Orsini, who runs a um, fencing academy up in yes. Ender Nile. Uh, and he uh, is he a very well connected individual, and Cressida yes. trusts him quite well. Yes, uh, they've had like a um, a very long uh, friendship, and so she was like, "Hey, he can put her up somewhere where." She will be secure, but not, you know, under threat of death all the time. They're a cute couple, too. They're, you know, you know, there's a little, <laughs> look, I, we're shipping trash. And I, I ship Cressida and happiness. I ship Cressida and happiness as well. Um, but you were able to get Trinia uh, safely put away 
with Vin Carlo. Yes. Um, and uh, more on that later, actually. Yeah, more on uh, that later. Stay tuned, dear listener. Uh, we'll find out what goes on with Trinius Abor. And yes. Vin Carlo, for that matter. Yes. Uh, so, having rescued Trinius Abor, um, we then heard uh, li- a little bit later that the queen had found... Uh, the killer again. Another was, person. Yeah, another person who had killed the king uh, and was going to execute them. This and one we're for like, real this time. And we were like, great. Just great. Yeah. Uh, we'll deal with that in a minute because right now we have to deal with a, an international diplomatic incident. Yes. Um, the international diplomatic incident, of course, being that um, uh, basically in the wake of the riots that have been going on, uh, a Shawanti man named Gakin, 18 years old, mm-hmm. was killed in, uh, in a racially motivated killing, Yeah, uh, which uh, needs to be directly stated. Uh, yes. Th- the guy was killed by racists um, who think that Shawanti don't have a place in Corvosa. Yeah. Uh, Shawanti being uh, the uh, indigenous peoples of of uh, Varicia, sort of the eastern part of Varicia. The people who lived here the before people, people came here, and made Corvosa yeah, who, and kicked them out. Yeah. And and there is this sentiment among Chalaxians, people who came from Chelyax and colonized Corvosa, that, you know, they were going to take Corvosa and uh, turn it into something amazing and great and blah. Um, and that first we need to get rid of all these Shawanti that are living here and guarding a pyramid which we don't understand uh and once we get rid of them everything's gonna be fine right yeah and so now life is pretty tough for shawanti in corvosa um uh again shawanti just a, an ethnicity of human uh we're all humans here uh yeah and uh but the shawanti have been driven up into the cinderlands uh and uh there is a small population of shawanti in corvosa uh, and uh, tensions are mitigated by a diplomat named Thousand Bones, who spends most of his time in Corvosa speaking on behalf of the Shawanti tribes who are uh, basically in exile from yeah. uh, the Corvosan holdings uh, up in the Cinderlands. Uh, and he speaks for them and tries to make sure that their demands are met and make sure that Corvosa doesn't do anything to cause further incident for war. Yeah. But Gakin, the kid who was killed, was his grandson. Yeah. And so his son is now ready to go to war. Understandably. Understandably. Like they killed his son. Yeah. And um and so Cressida calls in the cover of night, who at this point are basically her experts in dealing with sensitive situations mm-hmm. that involve a light touch. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, to go and recover Gakin's body and deliver it back to Thousand Bones so that we can avoid an international incident. Uh, so, information in hand, we decided to head down to the Grey District, which is basically Corvosa's cemetery district, uh, because we had heard that there was some stuff going on down there that might be necromantical in nature. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, we headed yeah. down there. We talked to the Farazmans, and they were like, "Oh yeah, there's a, there's a place over there, like over in the the was it over in the Potter's the, Ward? The Potter's Ward, yeah, yes. over in the Potter's Ward, which is where Ward. people that can't afford uh, 
uh, proper burial are buried. Uh, and uh, there's there's some stuff going on over there. Yeah, and you and you went to um, which is what is actually a Shawanti tomb um, called the Dead Warrens. The, uh, it is a tomb that preceded the uh, the settlement of Corvosa by the Chalaxians. Uh, I don't know if that came up in the game, did it? I'm not sure. But anyway, yeah, the Dead Warrens are actually a Shawanti tomb oh. um, that Rolf Lamb uh, had moved into and was turned into this experimentation area. Uh, and so we entered the Dead Warrens <laughs> um, full of anticipation and trepidation and other things that end a nation. And... Yes. Uh, ran into a skeletal owl bear. Skeletal owl bear. That was pretty freaking owl cool. Owl bears are one of the best monsters, I think, in uh, Pathfinder. They're pretty good. Um, and I think they're also in D and D five E, right? Yeah. 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 They're they're one of the best like OGL monsters. Yeah. In that, uh, you know, it's sort of everything's right out there on the tin for you. They're an owl and they're a bear, right? <laughs> uh, and really, they're just really mean bears. When you get right down into the mechanics of them. But the flavor is so cool. They peck you. They They peck peck you with their beaks. Yeah. And they Um, make horrific hooting roars. Yes. Oh, gosh. The sound effects for that were so great. Shout out to Sirenscape. Love you guys. Um, So we killed that. Killed it. We killed a bunch of Darrow. Killed a bunch of Darrow. Uh, Ran into uh, a tabletop game. Tabletop game. (laughs) Called Rat Rat Squish. Squish. (laughs) This is in the book, by the way. Rat squish. I, I I elaborate a little bit on it in so far as I had like the player's handbook of rat squish and things <laughs> and like that. And the bestiary. And the bestiary of rat squish. It has one entry. Rats. Rat. Uh. Um, but 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 Paizo lovingly served this up to me. Yes. Uh, just as a delectable treat that I could pass on to you. It was great. And it was great. Um maybe one day we can play rat squish. <laughs> If no. we ever own a place where we have rats, we don't want. <laughs> what was it Damien said? They put all the work into making these nice uh, platonic solids. Platonic solids. And they use them to abuse animals. <laughs> yeah. Um, we moved through the rest of the dead warrens attacking uh, and being attacked by such things as uh, a wall that sprayed acid followed by some centipedes made of bones. Yes. As enormous centipede snake things God, yes, made they of were bones. were so horrifying. Those, what were those things called again? They Necrophidious? Were Necrophidious, yes. Amazing. Um, they were... Absolutely they amazing. Were great. So disgusting and I so awesome. Yeah. Really, they're, they're up there so, with like so, my favorite sort so of undead fact, uh, I don't know if this figures. came up... I don't think this came up in the game. But those aren't actually undead. We weren't able to roll high enough, yeah. so you guys didn't find this out in the session. But those are actually constructs, uh-huh. um, and they have hardness and they have construct immunities. Which, as it turns out, a lot of the construct immunities happen to be the same things that are undead immunities. Uh huh. And so it didn't really come up, and they were also made of bones yeah. exclusively. Yeah. And so you know, it's easy to go look at these things and go, "Oh, that's an undead." It's actually a construct. So cool. So somebody built that. Bone? Bone? Yes. Uh, uh, and uh, it was, in fact, Rolf Land that I believe built those. Yes. Um, Along with the the carrion golem we found later, yes. which I keep mistakenly calling a flesh, flesh golem, golem yes. in, the, uh, <laughs> in the recording. It is not a flesh golem. It is a carrion golem. 
They are similar, but very different. I think it's a fair mistake for your characters to make, yeah, too, though. Yeah, it is so, a golem you know. made of dead flesh. Yeah, uh, so if you say flesh golem... super bad. Uh, yeah. It carries diseases. I think at, at a certain point, I don't correct you as the player saying things, unless it's, like, really going to start causing problems. Yeah. Because... I kind of like the game of telephone that saying the wrong thing brings, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I like that and it's natural and it's part of, it's part of the real world. Yeah. You know, you finding a, a, a carrion golem and calling it a flesh golem and then you go to somebody else and you go, we found flesh golems and they go, oh, there's flesh golems in there. Let's do all the research we can on flesh golems and go back in and then they get there and it's fucking carrion golems. Uh, <laughs> that's something that happens in the real world like all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And uh, so I'm know, fine with it. I'm fine with I'm fine with that sort of loss of information happening sometimes. Yeah. Um sometimes I do have to be like no 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 hold up that's not what I said it's this. <laughs> but yeah, a lot of it it's very uh emotionally charged because of the uh things that ensued after that. Yeah, uh, oh boy. So like, you found your library. You found um, you found the flesh golem, the actual flesh golem, yeah, being constructed, which was using the head of Gakin. You found other parts of Gakin around the rest of the of the dead warrants, yeah. But then, then, dear listeners, we get in to session fifteen. B. Flesh warped followers. In which we face Vrieg. Vrieg. The Darrow apprentice of Rolf Lamb. And his zombie made out of the remains of Gadron Lamb. And we do actually have a question. Uh, Now, this wasn't specifically a question that was submitted, but it's something that I talked about with our good friend Kyle. Uh, uh, at Omicrex, uh, who is the, uh, who runs, uh, death saves with advantage. Uh, shout out to Kyle. Shout out to Kyle. Uh, and, uh, so, so what we talked about and um, what I wanted to bring up for everyone was how did Rolf Lamb make a Gadron Lamb zombie if Gadron was eaten by the alligator? So this this sort of comes through in sort of the research that you're doing on Rolf Lamb, and uh, you kind of get to deal with it actually later in the adventure path, um, is that Rolf is uh, a golem crafter, mm-hmm. right? And a necromancer. Yes. He's both. Yes. Uh, and so he was sort of in the process. So outside of that, he was in the process of getting closer to Gadrin, like as his father, mm-hmm. because maybe we can get into that later. You know, it's not exactly the most tight relationship in the world. <laughs> um, uh, so so when you guys go to storm the fishery, he's actually in the process of getting closer to Gadrin. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. Um, and so after you guys kill Gadrin and feed him to Gobblegut, <laughs> Rolf, Sorry, it's still good. Rolf shows up and we actually had like, I think like an end credit sort of scene of him getting there. Yeah. Um, and he finds that Gadrin has been fed to Gobblegut and his body destroyed. And he's like, well, shit, I was really working on something here. <laughs> so what he does, as any loving son would do, is he wants yes, his obviously. he wants his father, you know, he wants his father to have respectful treatment of his body and death. So what does he do? Well, he fishes out the remaining pieces of Gadrin's body, which are a torso one arm and one leg. 
and then he fixes it. Mm. Uh, which there is a lovely spell involved in um, the Pathfinder setting called Sculpt Corpse, which allows you to make a corpse look like another corpse. And so this, there's no way the party's ever going to find this out, really, unless they like really get into some heavy duty research. And as of current recording, they have not. And so yeah. I'm fine with just telling you guys. It hasn't really been a priority. It hasn't really been a priority. Other things happen. Spoilers. Um, <laughs> Spoilers. Things, things happen. happen. Um, but, but basically what he did was in his anger, he went out, he killed someone else, just someone else. And he sculpted their head to look like his father's face. And then he grafted that head onto uh, Gadron's body. And then he animated it as a zombie. We were not really in a position to appreciate the artistry of this achievement. No, 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 dear listener, they were not. (laughs) Because a fight ensued and what a fight it was. Oh, my word. Uh, Rig had a robe of bones. Mm-hmm. Vrieg spawned some very large yeah. zombies in a very small space, I keeping feel us like, from getting to him. So I feel like, um, so one of the things and when you're, I rolled like shit. Yeah, I feel like one of the things when when balancing these encounters that I don't think is fully accounted for all the time is the value of good gear. Yeah, um, and a robe of bones. Um, I had this calculated out at some point, but I don't actually remember what it came up to. Is that a robe of bones? Raises the difficulty level of an encounter by so much <laughs> that it becomes a deadly encounter. And as we all know now, die we did. Die we did. Um, it was nearly a TPK. Yeah. Uh, it would have been a TPK if you hung around. Yeah. No, I, uh, I, uh, so we were on our way to fleeing. And as we were on our way to fleeing, as Ophelia was getting out of range of a zombie that Vrieg had spawned. Mm-hmm. It crit on her yeah, on an crit. attack of opportunity and yeah. it killed her. Mm-hmm. My first, my first player character death. I was the first of many. I was inconsolable mm-hmm. for an hour. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I, I believe in the, in the session we do, we do mention that we had to take a break. Yeah. Um, and we, we needed a break. Um, yeah, we needed a break just to, just to, mourn like the loss of this character i've played a lot of pathfinder yeah but you've had characters die too i've had characters die in pathfinder too you've had me kill your character yeah yeah (laughs) Uh, like there was nothing in this particular situation that was different from any other character death but something about it hurts a lot more when you are playing all of the characters, yeah. it just increases the number of counterfactuals you can bring up. Yeah. Like the, if only I had done X, if only I had done X, Y, and Z, I could have done these things. Why was Damien so useless? This is all my fault. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, and so it just, it hurt a lot more and yeah. it took a lot longer for me to get over. And so we, t- um, we took a break and we, we processed those emotions and, uh, you know, I, I try to, you know, one of the things as a DM is, is it's it's fun to act like you're the villain, you know, and be like, I crit on you, I kill you. But I, I will be honest, when when you start to see the TPK coming, it's it's rough, <laughs> yeah. you know, because I think when when you're DMing, I think one of the things that you like to do, or at least like what, what I like to do mm-hmm. I like to create a challenge that makes you think you're going to die 
and then you pull through mm-hmm. at the last minute. Yeah. But this, and, and and basically, I could see the writing on the walls long before we actually got to the point where Ophelia died. Yeah. Is I could see it coming. Yeah. Because first you targeted the zombie and not Vrieg. Yeah. And then Vrieg summoned his thing, and then we continued to not target Vrieg. And I was like, if they don't take out Vrieg, Vrieg's yeah. gonna fucking kill everybody. Yeah. And there wasn't, um, and like the way that the the way that the the um the the room that the encounter is in was set up was the plague ogre zombies took up three quarters of the room. They did. They took up I most of the room. I was not able, and Vrieg being able to fly got into the corner and five foot stepped out using his fly speed. Uh-huh. He had mobility that I was not able to match and he just spent most of the time hiding in the yeah. corner where I couldn't reach him. Yeah. Um, um, uh, and I didn't have any, um, I didn't have any area of effect spells. Uh, because Damien had well, and, and Damien had used most of his uh, high level magic uh, earlier on in the dungeon, and yeah, so it was just it was a confluence of a lot of things that like I didn't necessarily have control over. And looking back, I wouldn't necessarily do differently, yeah. except for you know, um, clearly the uh, the the appearance of the Gadron Lamb zombie was very shocking for me, and I was yeah. extremely concerned. <laughs> I was I was concerned that he had that. Uh, Rolf had made some sort of like super epic zombie out of his father's remains, and then it sort of ended up being a normal zombie. Yeah, it was just a normal and so zombie. I and so I used you know several attacks by my marshals that I could have spent mm-hmm. uh, geeking the mage, uh, attacking the Gadron Lamb zombie. Um, but you know, like apart from that, there wasn't a whole lot that I feel like regretful about. Um, besides, you know, not rolling well enough, yeah. and like you can't just you know. You should have rolled better. Like, <laughs> like yeah. Uh, ultimately, if it comes down to the dice rolls, like, yeah, that's just how it went. Uh, yeah. And you so, know, that's you know, the game. Shit happens. And sometimes you run away from a, a boss fight carrying a dead uh, player character in your arms and yeah. screaming for the guards. But, but like, I, I do believe, I, I think that one of the things that was really interesting about this is, is like how luck both, both uh, fucked you. <laughs> And saved you. Yeah. In that, in that, so, so there was actually uh, a bit, uh, now a lot of times when we're in combat, I will cut a lot of the, me, like us going back and forth about rules shit and stuff mm, like that. Mm-hmm. And so, um, the way that it had actually worked out is that, is that, um, we didn't realize that, uh, Unia could move at full speed, I think, or it mm. was that, or is that Lenore had more movement, but uh, originally, uh, yeah. in that scene, um, I was going to target Lenore, yeah, and then we was, realized that Lenore should have actually been able to move further yeah, away. Lenore, having just hit level four, um, didn't actually have to go up to Ophelia to grab her body. Yes. She could have used her yeah. stretchy arms. And we didn't realize yeah. that at first. Yeah. But then we realized it, I think, like, after the initiative count where it happens. Yeah. Uh, and I do allow going back a little bit to fix things if, like, the, yeah. if, like we just really didn't play it by the rules. Yeah. And 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 in this case, we didn't. And, yeah. and, um, and Lenore so- should have been further away. Yeah. And so rather than Lenore getting targeted with blindness, it turned out that Unia ended up getting blinded. And I didn't even realize this when I blinded you. But blind fight actually lets you move at full speed. It does. Um, so it ended up being not really an issue at all. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so you, you, I mean, you get you get targeted. Wait, do you take an armor class penalty? Um, I believe you do. Yeah, yeah. I, so you, you still take that. Yeah. So it's still easier to hit you, but I still fucking missed you every fucking time. 
and so yeah. Uni was able to get out that just because of the feat that you get from your domain. Yeah, Unia has the darkness domain as a cleric, and when you pick darkness domain, you get blind fight for free. So Unia running for their life away from Vrieg, <laughs> who has a 60-foot fly speed. Yes. So Unia's double moving 60 feet. Vrieg flies 60 feet and then gets to do an action because fuck me. Um, yeah, fuck you. <laughs> I have to do... Oh, wait, wait, wait. Let's be fair to me. I do have to make fly checks. <laughs> fly checks in still air. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, super easy fly checks. And um, so... Yeah, but Yudia managed to get out by the skin of their teeth. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that also, was. If you have skin on your teeth, please see a dentist. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, you managed to get out and into and, the yeah. into the pouring rain, I believe. Yes. Uh, where uh, you are cradling the dead body of Ophelia. It was yeah. I I cried a lot. It was pretty sad. It was sad as um, frick. But that's Pathfinder. Yeah, you know? sometimes sad stuff happens. You get, you get pretty, pretty hurt sometimes in Pathfinder. Yeah. But, uh, but you can also bounce back. Mm-hmm. And so we did in session 16, um, where we, we rushed to the Church of Phrasma. Mm-hmm. And we, we spent every cent. Yep. Of party loot, and then some you didn't even have yet. Yeah, we ran to Cresta like, give us money! Yes. And Cresta was like, here, have money! To bring Ophelia back to life. And even then, Ophelia's not set to fight yeah, again yet. You were level four. You were level when four. When you come back to life through Ray's Dead, you get two negative levels. Uh-huh. I mean, we walked, we walked everybody through what a negative level and resurrection and all the stuff yeah. is at the start of that episode. But like, that meant that while Ophelia was alive, in terms of combat and checks and stuff, the penalties she was taking were so big that she was essentially useless. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if, you bring a, if you bring a level four character with two negative levels into a, into a level-appropriate fight... The carriage's just gonna die again. Yeah, yeah, they're gonna die again. So And we, if you die again, you get two more negative levels if you bring them back. So we needed a friend. We needed we needed a friend to be the party face for a little while. So um over the course of the uh the week or so, um or maybe two weeks, we had to we had to take a little bit of a break uh after that um after that session. Although it came out in like uh, a session and then an additional session on the Friday. Uh, we did all of that in one session. It was like yeah. a, it was like one like five hour it session. It was huge, um, and, and it we cut was, it down to like three hours and some change. Yeah, I mean, we cut out uh, a lot of crying. We cut uh, out a lot of crying. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, you know, it's not that it's not that we didn't, you know, like 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 it's not that the that like the stuff that we cut out, it was important. Yeah, but. We didn't really want to put out 40 minutes of crying about dead characters. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it's... Uh, yeah. We, I think we both sort of, like, like it... Uh, so, behind the scenes a little bit, the that session did involve a lot of us going back and forth and going, are we okay with this being in? Are we okay with this mm-hmm. being in? Is yeah. this fine? Is this fine? Da, 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 da. No, cut that. No, bring that back. Uh, I like this part. Da, 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 da. Yeah. And and there was actually a lot of work put into figuring out exactly what's going to go in the episode. Yeah. Um, because we ran through the full spectrum of loss. It got really raw. Yeah. 
And, and not um, all of that we not were all of it was pretty. Yeah. And not all <laughs> of it was stuff we were comfortable putting out into the world outside of the two of us. Yes. Um, um. But yeah. Um, so over the course of the short break that we had, I made uh, a new character, an Inquisitor. Center um, Travail. Yeah, Center Travail, an Inquisitor, Inquisitor of Vonimos. Uh, basically a, a grief counselor slash undead slayer um, <laughs> yes. who is who's spending a little bit of time with the party while Ophelia is getting well enough to fight again. Yes. Um, I love Center very much. And uh, as of current release, Center is still occupying Ophelia's spot on the roster um, in session 17 and going a little bit forward. Mm-hmm. Ophelia will be coming back. Um, yes. We love her so much. We are so happy uh, that she's brought back to life. I'm also very happy. As a GM, I'm really happy because it means that I don't have to abandon all the story shit <laughs> that I came up with for Ophelia's background. <laughs> I love Ophelia um, so much. I yeah. I could not bear the thought of going on without her. Uh, so I was she's happy. Good. I was happy that we were able to bring her back. Yes. Um, and uh, and and that's what you missed on Glee. Uh, yeah. Uh, so we met Center. Uh, Center became part of the team as we sort of figured out how to deal with Ophelia being dead and then Ophelia coming back to life. And then the queen being like, hey, heard y'all were real excited about some deaths happening. Uh, I have a guillotine here now. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And so she she came up with uh, we're going to execute the king's killer. Yes. You know, the the one who did it. This is her who did it. We pull off the hood and it's just fucking some lady you know just some lady we don't I'm, even know yeah. who she is wild-eyed terrified terrified uh we have no idea who she is but you're all pretty sure she probably didn't do it yeah yeah and so you're sitting here going like how can we possibly do anything about this what can we do like like there are guards here that will wipe the floor with us yeah when all of a sudden out of seemingly nowhere <gasps> The hero of Corvosa, Blackjack. Blackjack appears. Blackjack, a a character that we sort of talked about before this. Yeah, you know, he was sort of like mythologized, and like every now and then we would make allusions to him. Yeah, and like like I think one of the things was like we talked about Damien wanting to be like the the uh, the tech crafter. Yeah, kind of, and and sometimes uh, to, when to Ophelia's blackjack, yeah, kind of, and sometimes when Siren would go around with her mask on, people would be like, "Oh, is that a blackjack thing?" And she'd be like, "Well, I mean, it's a it's a vigilante thing. I wasn't trying to yeah. copy blackjack." <laughs> and, and and so we sort of tried to establish the idea of blackjack as kind of a mythologized hero before, and then we get to bring him in at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, very exciting. And he comes in. He he takes the woman from the platform and then you guys just help him escape. Yeah. Yeah. And cast web on the guards. Cast web on the guards. You knock some people out. Knock some people out. Hold person. Obscuring mist. Disappear. And it's, it's really, I'm really fucking happy with how that scene turned out. It's so cool. You put it together with all the music. Yeah. With the music and everything. It's great. Um, uh, I got to do one of my favorite things. Um, so, so, um, as you might, realize 
these two people who sit here and we play Pathfinder together, we're, we're nerds. I don't know if you realize that. What? Uh, yeah, we're nerds. Oh, no, I thought we were cool. Uh, I thought so, too. Oh. Uh, no, we can be cool nerds, actually. Oh. We are actually cool nerds. Oh. A lot of people like our show. Oh. Uh, and so we're, that makes us cool, right? Okay. That okay. makes us cool. Yes. Now we can go back to our, our high school reunions and be like, actually, we're cool. We, we if you look at my a, download no- numbers, ta- it says that I'm have, actually cool. We have a tabletop RPG podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now we have to go back to our high school reunions and do that. Uh, but um, no, anyway. Um, so so this was largely inspired for me, at least as an editor, by wanting to do a thing that happens in anime all the time, where you have your big cool fight, and so you put the theme song of the uh of the anime under the cool fight. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I was particularly inspired by Gurren Lagann. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Lagan. inspired by Gurren Lagann. Look, Gurren Lagann is my favorite anime of all time, and I fucking love it. And I love, um, I love the theme song. Uh, Sarairo Days. Sarairo, what was it? Sarairo Days. Sarairo Days. I can never pronounce it right, which is why I'm like, oh, the theme song of Gurren Lagann. Uh, but I love that song so much. And there is a scene where they play it under a fight scene. And I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. <laughs> and so I did that. Uh, we spent this entire book using um, uh, Dance Macabre, um, an arrangement of the classical piece. Uh, the arrangement we're using is by Incompetech, uh, Kevin McLeod. Uh, the original piece is by, how do you pronounce his name? Oh, I don't know. Camille Sansens. Yeah. Um, and... And so so he wrote this so public domain composing and uh royalty free music boop doop 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 happy um which is really great for when you're starting on a show like we were with nothing <laughs> we had no rights management nothing we were like it's all public domain it's everything luckily along the way we've met some really great uh content creators we've met some really great people and we're really happy uh that we now have some partners that we can like use new music made just for stuff like this. But I wanted to close out book one with Dance Macabre, which we were using for all of our intros. Yes. Um, and I am happy to say now in this recap that our good friend, Philip Melvin, yes! who does most of the music that we use in most of the game, has authorized the use of the chronospheres of Dr. Genevieve Beaumont as our theme song for book two. I am so happy because I got to tell you, when I was... <laughs> okay, okay, okay. It's so freaking good. It's really good. Um, it, so when we were, when we were uh, starting this, I wanted to commission music. Um, and uh, I was talking to a few people about commissioning music. Uh, and one of the songs that I, I the idea that I had was uh, what I best described as a waltz played on an old phonograph that is falling apart as the room around it crumbles uh, mm. to just give this sort of like f- crumbling uh, sort of decadent mm-hmm. waltz. Mm-hmm. The idea being that you could almost imagine nobles continuing to dance as the world around them falls apart. Yeah. As and that was sort of the idea in my head as the music of Corvosa. Yeah, that that's fitting, I um, think. Um 
we we looked at a few classical pieces that were public domain that we could have used. Mm-hmm. But none of them quite did it. Yeah, one of and them we did use in the uh, the Gala scene. Yes, we, we uh, the, did. Uh, there was whatever was in B minor by Chopin. Um, two waltzes in B minor by Chopin. Um, Opus sixty nine. Opus sixty nine. Nice. nice. Uh, and uh, we were able to. You know, so so we that did end up getting featured in the show, uh, kind of as an Easter egg. Um, and the, that was going to be our theme song, but I didn't like the tone of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't quite there. Um, but, uh, then we started. So, so, uh, I actually got connected with Philip, uh, through, uh, a networking discord, um, called what do you do? Uh, which is an, it's basically an aggregate of people running Pathfinder adventure paths, uh, where you can talk about like what you're doing, what's worked for you. Uh, any ideas that you might have for running your Pathfinder Adventure Path podcast? It's a really specific community, <laughs> and the people in there are great. And Philip's uh, Philip's Patreon got linked on there, and so I got in contact with him. And he had a, he has a really really generous uh, usage policy, and so immediately I went, "Hey, your usage policy seems really good. Uh, I just want to clarify. I have a podcast. Is it okay if?" I use your music in my podcast. And he was like, absolutely. It's fucking great. Do it. <laughs> and and I was like, thank you so much. And just as we have been releasing the show, Philip has been uh, just a great friend and a great partner. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have been so happy to be working with him. And like, we're not sponsored by his thing in any way. Right. In fact, we're paying the Patreon costs because we want that good shit. We want it. We want it. It's good shit. And 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 uh, and boy, do we get some good shit for doing it. Oh yeah. Uh, Philip puts out some really good content, and if you're not already subscribed to his Patreon, I highly recommend it. Again, we're not sponsored by Philip's stuff. We just love it go, so much. Go now um, to Philip's Tabletop Music Bazaar. Do yes. it. And and so your and so ears in, will thank you. And so as the show was being released. He put out the Chronospheres of Dr. Genevieve Beaumont. And I listened to it. And I was like, this is the song that was in my head. This is the one. It's great. It was this. It's great. <laughs> and so, and so I've t- we've talked uh, extensively about it. And uh, I'm really excited that we're going to be able to bring it in as our theme song for se- season two. Well, book two, rather. And maybe beyond. Mm. Maybe another piece of music mm. by Philip Melvin or by our good friend uh, Rio who is actually composing some original music for the show. Yes! Somebody's going to be coming up with some music that we're going to use in the future. And we're really excited about it. And we're going to bring it on the show. And it's going to be so cool. And it's really cool. And and you'll find out how cool it is when we put it in the show. Um, there's a lot to come. And uh, we're on session 32 right yeah. now. And so it's so cool. Um, it's, good. it's really good. There, there's going to be more. There's going to be more. Uh, there's going to be more adventure. There's going to be more blackjack. Yes. There's going to be more death. <laughs> <laughs> Player death. Who knows? Who knows? Um, but before we get into, but we'll get into all that in the coming weeks. Um, now we might be taking a little bit of a break coming up here, just so that I can finish editing book two. Because I really like the concept of having a finished product ready and then putting it out. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we mostly finished book one before we started releasing book one. Yeah. And I'm kind of looking to do the same thing with book two. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, so we're we're getting close to the end of book two, and then uh, there may be a little bit of a break. And stay tuned to our social media because you'll see if there's going to be a break. Um, just for me to finish the editing and make sure that themes that resolve at the end of book two, I want to make sure that they're that they're given the proper attention at the start and through book yeah. two. Yeah. Which I think is really good because when you when you edit it week by week, it's almost impossible to pick up on some of these themes. Yeah. But when the book is done, it's a lot easier to pick out. Yeah. Uh, and so we're getting there and we're almost done and there may not be any interruption of content. But if there is, stay tuned to social media. We're definitely going to talk about it. Yeah. Um, I'll definitely mention if we're going to take a break and when we come back. Yes. Uh, now, before we finish this little uh, recap, uh, there are some more questions. Yes. And wouldn't you know it, we talked about them a second ago. Uh, from what do you do? Uh, the podcast listing service yes. uh, by uh, a guy named Jason. Really good guy. Jason. He has sent in a couple of questions. Uh, and he said, I'm probably not alone in wondering this, but number one, there's two questions. Uh, what's the biggest challenge when running an actual play campaign when it's just the two of you? Great question, Jason. And it is definitely something we've had to cope with uh yeah. in running this uh do you like to start or should sure. i sure yeah so for me the biggest challenge of running an actual play campaign was just the two of us is i well obviously i'm playing four characters <laughs> uh and you know yes. there were some there were some difficulties that were expected uh such as how am i going to run uh like rp conversations between yes. people uh and so there's one of the ways we've dealt with that is we've taken uh occasionally we take a little bit more of a a third person uh, perspective where we sort of talk about what the party is doing as a whole, mm -hmm. um, or mm -hmm. it might be a conversation between me and Rain over yes. what I think the party thinks and what they're going to do. Um, we mentioned earlier, the breakfast conversations are usually pretty helpful in this regard because I can have people talking to each other, you know, while somebody makes eggs. It's usually eggs. Uh <laughs> <laughs> it's always eggs. <laughs> it's always fucking eggs. <laughs> Let's Every help. breakfast, it's always eggs. <laughs> eggs are the perfect protein. Um, anyway, um, but uh, another challenge has been not necessarily running combat because I, I have a relatively good grasp on the mechanics yeah. uh, going in. And even though some of the characters uh, have builds that are a little bit more complicated, I'm usually like not too bad at determining what a character should be doing in a given situation. But... One of the things that's tough is that everything that happens to my characters is happening to me. Yeah. There isn't that there isn't that moment <laughs> where like you do something and it doesn't turn out well and so you get to wait through while all of the other people who are playing do things. And you know, if it doesn't work out well for them, you commiserate and maybe you feel a little better. Uh -huh, you know, it's like, uh -huh. "Oh, I rolled really bad and oh, you rolled really bad and together we can feel bad about rolling bad." Yes. And that helps us both feel a little better. In my case, if Damien rolls bad and then Ophelia rolls bad, it's just me continuing yeah. to roll bad and, and, and it and, just hurts and it and sucks. And the, and, yeah. And <laughs> as much as the game is dependent on just probability and we know this, you know, there is a thing in the human brain that doesn't process probability properly. Yeah. yeah. And so when you keep rolling bad, you go, I'm doing something wrong. Yeah. I am doing, doing a wrong bad thing. Job. And, and um, usually it, in cases where we have combat stress breaks, it's usually because the dice are just fucking us. They're, yeah. they're just they're just really fucking. Us. Yeah. And so, uh, like, you know, 
that's been one of the things that as the as the game has gone on, mm-hmm. we've gotten better at anticipating and dealing with. Yes. Um, but for a while, especially at the end of book one, with that dungeon, was really hard <laughs> yeah, to deal with. It was. Um, it was heartbreaking, honestly. And like, yeah, uh, because you know maybe your character dies, and you're like, oh, the rest of the you you get to cheer on the rest of the party as they carry your dead body out. For me, it's just me. <laughs> yeah, it's I'm, me mourning the death of my character and both needing to experience the the stress of my character being dead and the stress of RPing my other characters being upset and my character being dead. <laughs> yeah. Now I, I do know that in that session I make a joke of don't worry we'll get through this we'll get we'll through, get through this, this thing that I've done to you and uh, you know it, it's 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 a very funny joke in the moment and I love it but. You know, I, I will say that one of the toughest things about running this one-on-one game, especially for Daft, my loving wife, beautiful mm. love of my life. Oh, she's holding out a hand. We're now holding hands. Um, it is when the combat starts going that badly, uh, you know, and just seeing Daft in so much stress, it it hurts. I'm not going to lie. It hurts. And, like, and there we- are times when, I, when I'm sitting here going like, oh, God. Why am I doing this to you? And like, I can't stand doing this to you. I, I want you to win. I promise I do. And it just hurts. And like in a more removed sense, neither of us is averse to challenging play. Oh, yeah. We neither, love it. Yeah. It's not, our favorite like, thing. Like, yeah. We're like, oh, man, that was really intense. But like in the moment, it's like, mm-hmm, oh, mm-hmm. my God. Oh, fuck. Oh, shit. Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, as I continue to roll like two, three seven just like, I, know. I need to roll higher than a nine please <laughs> god and like we've had we've had conversations <laughs> about it uh like off air um mm-hmm. because you know we're married we talk about everything we do um uh, like just being like hey this is really rough what can we do to fix this yeah and um and we're working on it and Taking it's, breaks helps a I, lot you know we're it, it's something that uh i sort of said very cavalierly at the start of this but we sort of had to deal with the repercussions as we've gone is we're going into uncharted territory. And Mm -hmm. part of that does involve, you know, facing the monsters and not all the monsters are things with stat blocks that you can kill. Yeah. Some of them are internal and some of them are emotional and you have to face those just like you face the dragons and just like you face the zombies. Playing four members of a party grieving at the same time. Yes. Is a lot. But you know what? Just like your adventurers, you get through it. And that is why you're a hero. And that is why I love you. Uh, oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, critical uh, hit on my heart. <laughs> uh, so, so, but, but going on from this, what are the best benefits? Um, well, um, uh, we'll just uh, we'll get the low hanging fruit here. Scheduling is a lot easier. Oh God, yes. Uh, so, so, um, for a little bit of background, uh, we're in a lot of games right now, and also we also want to play other games. Yeah. <laughs> so we're in. Uh, so we play a lot of tabletop gaming. Uh, we're in a five e game uh, that we run that runs every other Saturday. Right. Mm-hmm. We're in Iron Gods, which I am still running, uh, even as we're producing this podcast, every other Friday. Um, you're in a Kingmaker game that every we produce Sunday. every other, that, sorry, that, that is every other Sunday, uh, mm-hmm. run by uh, Sam, uh, Dungeon Master of, uh, sorry, Game Master of Paizo, uh, Game Master of uh, Dungeon, Dungeon Dive. Dive Bar. 
Uh, and uh, I am going into an adventure path actually coming up of Agents of Edgewatch uh, with uh, the moderators of a uh, Glass Cannon fan server that I'm on. <laughs> Turns out I'm also a fan of other podcasts. I also listen to other <laughs> podcasts in addition to all of this. Uh, <laughs> scheduling is hard. <laughs> so we're in all of these games. Scheduling is really fucking hard. Uh, and like, for instance, my Iron Gods game has eight players that are available at different times. And sometimes we end up with all of the players available. Uh, and but scheduling things moving a group of people is so hard yeah when uh, it's just the two of us it's a lot easier to when, schedule when the two when it's the two of us we go oh hey it's tuesday i don't have work you want to play pathfinder i'm like yes please yep and we play a game <laughs> and so that's one of the big the biggest benefits another thing is that uh, and maybe this isn't necessarily specific to running an actual play campaign with two people, but you know, between two people who know each other really well mm. is that we have a very good idea of where each other's boundaries are. Yes. Um, and we know sort of what kinds of things the other person will like yes. to play or to experience in game. Yeah. We, you know, we, we write characters that the other person will like, mm -hmm. and we have interactions with NPCs that the other person will like. And we do it without thinking about it. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and we, you like know, we have our boundaries are at places where even without talking about it, we'll know, Hey, Daph's going to be okay with this. Rain's going to be okay with this. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and we push those boundaries too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and like, we trust we each know other. where to push those boundaries. Um, and we'll get into a little bit of that in book two, actually. Yeah. yeah. And, right? and a and lot of things in curse get really serious, yeah. really fast. Yeah. And, and like, and like when, if you're running a larger group, I think it behooves the dungeon master to look at the content and go, that's probably too far for so-and-so that's probably too far for so-and-so and create an experience that everyone's going to be comfortable with. It just so happens that because we know each other so well and because we like pushing our own boundaries so much that we can do stories that I don't think we could easily do in a large group. Yeah. Uh, and additionally, we can also do stories that you can't do in a large group because um, it involves one character getting the spotlight for an extended amount of time. Yeah. Uh, again, uh, something that's going to come up a little bit in book two uh, yeah. is that there there are parts of the game that we're running uh, we didn't want to get too far into this in book one because book one is basically a proof of concept. Can a single player run through a book of an of a Paizo Adventure Path playing four characters? And the answer is yes. Mm -hmm. And so in book two, we start to mess with it a little bit. Yeah. And we start to do some like things that you couldn't do yeah. with a group of uh, four to six yeah. people. And if you have, yeah, if you have a group of four to six people and you have one session that's basically just one character doing one thing, then you have three to five players who are real pissed off at the end of that session. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but when it's all just me, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, if I were to show up at a session, block out my four hours of time, set, grab my dice bag, grab my, my grab my character sheets, do everything. Some food order. And then I get there and my character doesn't do anything the entire fucking game. I'd be kind of upset. <laughs> But when it's it's four characters all being played by one person, if character three, for instance, gets all the play that session, the, the player still gets all the play. It's great. And it works. Yeah. 
Um, but you couldn't do that in a group of many people. And I, I very much say this. You shouldn't do that in a larger group of people. Don't do it. Yeah. If you really have to do that, schedule a session that is just you and that player. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Um, there's, uh, actually a really great video from Matt Colville. Um, I may, if I can find it, I'll put a link in the description. If not, just look up Matt Colville. He's got great, uh, dungeon master advice, (laughs) um, that, that talks about running one-on-one sessions for a group that is usually uh, a large table. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and you can really get into some su- subject matter and some scenarios that you can't do in a larger group. And yeah. uh, luckily, we can do all of them. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Jason, thank you for your question. Thank you, uh, Jason. And I uh, hope that that's a satisfactory answer for you. We have a truly staggering number of questions from uh, our good friend and fan, uh, Amber J., Thank you, Amber J. Uh, yes. Uh, so I believe all the questions you're about to hear are from Amber J. <laughs> uh, but because I love the the uh, random generator. Let's have some people ask them on Amber J's behalf. Yes. Uh, Amber J, I hope you don't mind. We're going to have a few people. We're going to have a few people ask these questions on your behalf. I hope you don't mind. <laughs> that will make up some words. So. Adela. From Magnamar asks, how many dice have been sent to dice jail during book one? Oh, my goodness. Are they all still there or have they served their sentences? I think I have sent at least a dozen dice to dice jail. The most the most common offenders are a couple of D20s that I have and then also a couple of D8s. That I have, I have to roll d8s for damage a lot. And if you know, I roll two, uh, two different uh, damage rolls, and they both come up ones, I'm gonna be like, <laughs> no, screw you, you're going to sit away for a while. Um, but uh, that being said, I am a lenient, uh, <laughs> merciful I, God. I am merciful. Uh, and generally don't leave my dice in dice jail for more than a session. Um, so I might put them away, but then in the next session, I will give them a chance to redeem themselves. Uh, they usually do. <laughs> Sometimes they don't. And then they go back to dice jail. Um, but it's, um, I will say, uh, there are some people out there who have good dice luck. They roll their dice and they usually roll well when they need to. And if they don't roll well, it's not usually for something very important. I'm not one of those people. <laughs> My dice luck is pretty bad. It's pretty bad. And if you haven't realized that by the end of book one, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> And so, like, I feel like uh, a part of my my strategy play is just, like, trying to deal with having really bad dice luck in addition to everything else. Uh, I have just recently here gotten a nice metal die. So, you know, if we're talking like, oh, well, you should go and make sure that you don't have any imperfections in your acrylic dice that might be causing it to be weighted toward low numbers. <laughs> you know, the, the, the metal dice do it, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the metal dice do it, too. The game science dice, which are specifically engineered to be perfectly balanced. Poured specially, broken from their sprues and sanded down, yes. not tumbled. Yeah. Those do. also do the same thing for you. <laughs> um, um, so uh, the next question, uh, which comes in from 
Maximilianus. Maximilianus. Of uh, Opara. Oh, you know, it does sound like a Talden name. It does sound like a Talden name. Uh, Maximilianus asks, which character did Daft make first? Did building one of them feel more natural? So I built Unia first. Yes. Unia was originally a character concept that I had gotten very excited about after reading a particular um, cleric archetype on D20 PFSRD, mm -hmm. which is sort of the open gaming license uh, repository for um, Pathfinder and related games content. Mm -hmm. um, it is an ex-cleric archetype called Channeler of the Unknown, mm -hmm. which is basically something happened to disrupt your connection to your god, but you kept praying, and eventually, or, or and for some reason, you continued getting spells. Um, and I was like, I want to make a, channel, a channeler of the unknown who worshipped Aridan even after Aridan died, and yeah. they are continuing to get spells, and nobody knows why, and they don't know why, but they are much more content to believe that it is Aridan giving them spells and that Aridan's actually still alive than to consider the possibility that something more nefarious or more mysterious might be at work. Yeah. Uh, now, this is coming from a book uh, full of X-class archetypes. I believe this is the Antihero's Handbook, Antihero's right? Handbook, I yeah. believe, yeah. Which I believe we got introduced to because a um, uh, friend of the show, Tyler Strand built a ex-paladin yes the ex-paladin being known as a a vindictive bastard yes uh, and tyler uh for my iron gods game actually built a vindictive bastard uh, one of the one of the greatest points about the building of this character was uh was like uh tyler going i i have a character concept that that uses this but uh, i don't like the i don't want to be vindictive and i was like that's just flavor. You can do whatever you want. And boy, am I glad that I said that because Tyler created the sweetest little soft boy. He's really good. He's so good. He basically defied Yamade uh, because he had a friend who was, I guess, too chaotic for Yamade. Mm -hmm. um, and and, uh, and she was going down a dark path. And she was and going was down like, a dark path. I want to help her. And I want to help Yamade her. Yamade was like, let her go. Let her go. She is beyond saving or you should be smiting her. So, we, we haven't really gotten into the background of that in my She's game. She's a bad influence. But, but eventually what happened is that is that the character lost his uh, abilities, uh, but was so dedicated to his friend that he's still a paladin, but he's a vindictive bastard paladin, <laughs> which essentially means that you can smite people that are opposed to your friends, which is honestly more powerful than a base paladin. <laughs> yeah. And the thing with the um this ex cleric archetype is that it it still has every single thing that clerics normally get. More except, or less. Yeah, more or less. Uh you get one domain instead of two. But you, and get, you get twice as many domains. Yeah, and you get two domain slots instead of one. Uh and your channel does damage to everything. Uh, and is not positive or negative energy, and yes. like it's and so it's basically that, and then you get to bring in all of this fun flavor, and so I was extremely excited about this character concept, mm -hmm. and I was looking for a place to bring this character in, uh, and then we, Rain and I started talking about playing Curse of the Crimson Throne, and I was like, I want to bring them in here, 
Um, yeah. And Rain was like, I really like this story. I, I want to uh, talk about some ideas of what might have happened to Aridin, and then I'm going to decide something, and I'm going to write it down in secret, uh, and I'm going <laughs> to uh, hand you an envelope marked secret that yes. you're not going to be able to open that says what happened to Aridin. Yes. Uh, there is, uh, as of as of, uh, as of of this recording, uh, there is an envelope sitting in Daph's desk that I think is unopened. It is unopened. I think it's, I'm going to trust you on that. It's unopened. Uh, that, that, um, that has the answer to maybe not entirely what happened to Aridin, because I kind of like that being a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, but where Unia is getting their spells from. Um, um, and, and, and it, it's written, it is written, uh, I, I, everything that we work with is working around what was written down and given to Daft, uh, not at the start of the game, but I think mm-hmm. about midway through. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, yeah. And so it also, it allows us to like really deal with some questions that you don't really get into in a world where the gods can make their will manifest at any time. Yeah. Like questions about faith and yeah. like, and like holding on to your own beliefs, even when other people tell you they're wrong. Yeah. Because uh, there are a lot of gods out there where it's like, are they real or are they not? Well, um, if they're not, then this person is, you know, somebody doing arcane magic that's disguised like uh, divine magic. See yes. Razmir. Um, but uh, if they if they are real, then you can look and go, oh, yes, these are divine spells that they're getting from so and so. And when you pray to so and so, you get those spells. Um, and so, yeah, this is an interesting place where Unia says they're getting spells from Aridin. They pray to Aridin and they get those spells. Uh, but that story isn't as likely to everyone else as it yeah. is to Unia. Yeah. Um, another thing that's important to me about Unia um, is that uh, Unia is non-binary. Um, we use they/them pronouns for Unia exclusively. Mm-hmm. Neither Rain nor I uh, are non-binary, but um, we have plenty of friends who are somewhere uh, in some non-binary identity and mm-hmm. have heard a lot about how there isn't a lot of representation for especially human non-binary yeah. characters. Yeah, there's um uh there's 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 a good number of non-binary characters that are non-binary because of their species. Uh like oh th- this species doesn't have a concept of gender or something like that. Yeah. Um or or even non-binary characters who are like uh tieflings or something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the the overarching point being non-humans. Yeah, and so um, yeah, and so it was important to us. Um, so if you were wondering why why do we use they them pronouns for Unia, it's because Unia is non-binary. Yeah, it was also um, it was also a very important thing for me getting into running a one-on-one game, is that um, you know we sort of had to have like a little bit of a conversation about like you know if we're running a one-on-one game, it's only me and Daft, mm-hmm. and so if we don't make a concerted effort to include people who are not like us specifically, mm. um, which is two white people in a heteroromantic re- in heteroromantic marriage. Yeah. You know, if we don't make concerted effort to include people that don't have that same identity then they just don't exist in this world. And we don't want a world where, where people like that don't exist. Yeah. Um, because we have, there's a tough enough time trying to get recognition for the people that exist in the world we live in now and get the rights that we need for those people, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and we don't also need a fantasy world that treats those people like they don't exist. Yeah. Uh. Um, yeah. 
So, uh, yeah. So Unia was made first. Making them was probably the most natural of the character concepts that I had. Oh, yeah. I will say that everybody else came about uh, pretty easily. The only character I've had a little bit of difficulty building is Ophelia, but that's because the vigilante class is... Before I played this game, I knew nothing about it. Uh, and so it's taken a few class levels to get it beyond, like, I'm a crappy rogue with party face abilities. Yes. Uh, and, you know, as it <laughs> and as and as uh, those abilities and stuff have been coming online, which you'll see more of in book two, uh, it's a uh, play with her has gotten a little uh, easier. And also, she's just a wonderful character and a really interesting person. She and unlocks this entire avenue of storytelling, which is kind of like turning the tabletop game into a comic book yeah which i think is fucking awesome yeah yeah you know we have this little thing with blackjack here you know blackjack is a vigilante uh siren is a vigilante um you know people have already started making comparisons between the two and you might be interested to see what happens going forward uh spoilers yeah. uh moving on what's everyone's favorite color this comes in from uh mechdi from rahadum ah. i don't know any cities in rahadum sorry uh, <laughs> but from Rahadum. All right. Uh, well, I, I'm sorry. This might make uh, somebody from Rahadum a little bit unhappy, but uh, Lenore, as a devout follower of Shellen, <gasps> loves all colors equally. How dare you worship a god? <laughs> Lenore loves the rainbow. Um, but if you had, if she were pressed, she would probably say the uh, the red orange of uh, heated metal is her favorite yeah, color. That's a good one. Um, Unia's favorite color is the sort of faded olive green mm. of Aridan's uh, clergy and uh, sort of Aridanite uh, okay, okay. vestments. Yes. Um, once a much more vibrant green. Once but, a much more vibrant green. But these days, quite faded. Mm -hmm. um, they love both, both greens. Oh. Um, Ophelia really likes um, a combination of very vibrant... Uh, sort of blue green and also gold um, mm. and sort of the gradient between those two colors yeah uh, and Damien oh Damien what is Damien's favorite color you know, so purple, it's purple. Uh, <laughs> so Damien has um, uh, the hero the hero cards that he uses in the art made by Tyler Strand are this very nice uh, indigo blue mm -hmm. i think that's damien's favorite color oh that's good i like that uh and then um uh, as a as a follow-up question to this does heads tails have one favorite color or two the answer is two but neither of them know what they are <laughs> uh, bleen bleed and scroob <laughs> <laughs> no um, no no heads tails favorite color is red <laughs> But the, but then but then uh, heads will say uh, their favorite color is red, and then tails will say no, your red is stupid, <laughs> and then they'll argue about it for a while. They both like red. See, that's the crazy thing is they both like red. They're arguing over the they're, specific they're arguing shade. over the specific shade of red. <laughs> and after this conversation goes on for a while, eventually one of the one of them will go, "Don't you think it's dumb that we're both arguing about which shade of red we like?" And the other will go, "No, you're wrong." <laughs> And they keep arguing again. One likes scarlet and one likes crimson. Ugh. <laughs> Obviously, crimson's the best. Yes. Uh, so uh, that is it for just our generic questions. Yeah. Uh, now we move into a few of Amber J's speculation slash spoiler questions. Ooh. So. So. Hergo 
from Starfall. Oh. Uh, Hergo writes in, uh, as soon as Blackjack showed up, my first thought was, oh man, I hope it's the Fencing Academy guy, because I think that would be neat. Is that something that has a chance to be answered within the next book or two, or not for ages? Uh, so as DM, I will tell you, there will be an answer for who Blackjack is. I am not at liberty to comment on who Blackjack is at this time. And as as a player, uh, I will say that I, at this time in the book, uh, at this time that you are listening, listener, uh, was also thought it would be neat if Blackjack were the Fencing Academy guy. Yes. Yes. Um, uh, <laughs> you, 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 you had that thought, and uh, I am not at liberty to currently discuss the identity of Blackjack or any alter egos of any existing characters. <laughs> uh, you are, it, it, it is good that you ask if this will come up. This will come up in later, in later stuff. Yes. But I will tell you by book four, you're going to know <laughs> by book four, you'll know. And if you don't know by book four, something's gone wrong. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's a good question. And I look forward to exploring it more. Yes. So let's move on. This next one is going to come in from Ceylon of, of White Throne. Oh. Uh, Ceylon writes in, uh, would Kester have been a recurring character if he wasn't adopted uh, since he's tied to Unia's God? Uh, and so so um, the answer is no. Um. If you read the Curse of the Crimson Throne adventure path, uh, the character, I believe, I believe the name is Kester of this older kid that you find in um, Gadrin Lamb's uh, fishery. Mm -hmm. But the character has no importance outside of that. Uh -huh. uh, the, it's just it's just an older kid in the room named Kester. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, I'm going to double check real quick. Uh but, you know, when Rain puts in a character who goes up to your character who whom everybody has been telling since they woke up, um, your god isn't real. We don't know where you're, you know, what tricks you're using to get your divine spells, but you're lying. Goes up to them and says, hey, Aridin told me to be here because you were going to be here. Uh-huh. How can you not take that child home? <laughs> <laughs> If only to ask more questions. Yeah. Um, so, so in the book, um, we, we do actually have a character named Kester, who is a kid in the room with Hookshank's Greller, mm -hmm. uh, whose brother was knifed to death by Hookshank's last week, uh, who hurls a pitchfork full of rancid fish uh, at Hookshank's face with surprising accuracy, blinding the gnome for a round. Wow. In the following round, the orphans gleefully join in the fight against Hookshank's unless Blue, the dog, shows up. At which point they try to flee. So that there's a kid named Kester in the in the book, but he's he's that's that's his entire role. That paragraph yeah. is his entire role in the book. But um, one one of the things that I like doing is I like fleshing out the world and building in mm -hmm. things that are reflective of uh, of what the characters are going through. And one of the ways that I do that is I'll take these one-off NPCs that are just thrown in there to like give a little bit more a uh, little bit more descriptor of the of the area. And mm -hmm. I will make them into full-on characters. 
Yes. And so that's what I did with Kester. Yeah. Uh, and we're going to have more stuff with Kester. We love him. And uh, some very exciting stuff coming up in book two. Yeah. Invol- uh, involving Kester. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, also, Tiora, being his mom and being uh, out looking for him, was entirely added just to flesh out that story. Yeah. Uh, Tiora is also an NPC that is that is mentioned, is uh, described as being in the in the world. Uh, in uh, the Dead Warrens, and also is described as when you save her, uh, coming back and giving you a wand of cure moderate wounds. Which is nice. But that's her entire role. But again, we I like fleshing stuff out. I like building onto my onto my player characters' backstories. Yeah. And so one of the things that I will do is I will take these one-off characters and then I will make bigger stories involving and them. And use them to break my heart. And use them to break your heart. Yes. Uh, the more emotional pain I can inflict on your party, the better. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I love your party. They're really I love good. them too. They're good. They're good. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, uh, it was all, it, it was entirely added so that uh, we could involve, mostly so that I could throw a wrench into this whole Aridin thing. Yeah. Uh, uh, and then uh, our last question uh, is going to come in from Doya. Of the Cinderlands. Ah. Shawanti, man. Hello, Doya. Did Damien ever talk with that house drake again? Oh, gosh. I loved the house drakes in that infight. They were so cute. They were so cute, and I loved them. I would like to think that at some point, Damien went back to sort of... uh, Astavernius. Yes. That at some point, Damien went to uh, the square of roads around the pyramid that contains the castle and just sort of asked a bunch of house drakes there if any of them had seen Astavernius and he was not able to find Astavernius. There are just too many. There's Uh, lots of house drakes. One of the things about Corvosa is that these fights between house drakes and imps happen all the time (laughs) and there are just hundreds of house drakes and yes. hundreds of imps flying around in the sky fighting each other like I don't know really angry sparrows I guess <laughs> um, yeah but he doesn't talk to Astavernius again oh. but but there's still plenty of house drakes in Corvosa there are plenty of house drakes to befriend in Corvosa and maybe he'll find one of them we'll find out more about that in book two in book two of course of, of the, the Crimson, Crimson Throne. Throne. And with that, I think, unless you have anything else, I think that's all we have. Yeah, I just wanted to say that I love you very much, and I've been Aww. having a fantastic time. Oh, I love you too, and I've been mm. having a great time running this game for you. You know, Curse the Crimson Throne is one of those adventure paths that I've heard a lot about mm-hmm. before uh, before running the game. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'm so happy that we get to do it, and that we get to do it together. Yeah. And I'm it's also, great. I'm also just really flabbergasted at how successful this has been as a thing that we have published. Goodness sake! Like, yes. Like, to be honest, with all of you out there, what I expected was that we would publish <laughs> this and it would get like five downloads a week as our friends uh, listened along and went, and then we would talk to them about. Oh wow! It was crazy what happened uh, on your on your game last week, huh? <laughs> and and that we would and then we go, yeah, it was crazy. And then we would continue doing whatever we were doing with our lives. Mm. Um, but as it's turned out, it's 
uh, gotten spread around like all over the place. Uh, and, you know, it's not entirely just, oh, this happened. It was I, I published it to a lot of places and I started uh, posting about it on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, other people were like, hey, we also do this. You should come and you should come and join our discord. Yeah, I hung we out made with those a lot people. of friends. Uh, yeah, I hung out with those people and those people were all cool. Uh, and then, um, and then like, I went, oh, it's not up on this, it's not on, the, on this website. And somebody asked if we can use it there. And then I would upload it to that website, like share the feed with this other website. And then 30 more people would download the show. <laughs> and it's just incredible. <laughs> and I'm very excited. I, I'm, uh, we're, we're currently, as we sit here, we're breaking 830 listeners. Wow. Uh, which is so many. So many. That is more than like entire runs of other podcasts I have done. Thank you. Mm-hmm. We're very excited. Uh, and uh, we look forward to uh, sharing the rest of our game with you. Yeah. Uh, and if you, uh, if you wrote in, uh, thank you very much. Uh, thanks for picking our brains. We love it. Uh, we are now coming up on three hours and we don't want to edit most of this audio. So Whee! I'm just going to call it right now. Yep. Let's do it. Bye, Bye everybody. Bye. Bye.